This is the Coming Home Podcast with John Allen. And boom, here we go. Another episode of the Coming Home Podcast with John Allen. Michael Dean, how you doing, brother? I'm doing good. How are you, John? I'm doing great. Uh, I'm doing great. It's interesting to have a guest who's actually sitting with a podcasting microphone and headphones. <laughs> right? <laughs> that has, I, haven't had, I haven't had that happen yet. But of course, that is how you're set up because you are also uh, a podcaster. Yes, sir. Yes, man. Yeah, yeah. You know, my... I'm a, I want to start out by giving a shout out to my friend Aaron Turner. He's the one that got me uh, turned on to you. He told me about your Prince podcast. And of course, mm. being a lifetime listener of Prince, not a lifetime, I was maybe eight years old when I first started listening to him. <laughs> but being a longtime listener of Prince's, of course, I got interested in your Prince podcast. And then okay. through watching that on YouTube, I found out that you have other elements to your podcast. It's not just a Prince podcast. Right. And I thought that I thought that was pretty interesting. Uh, can you start off by just telling me how long have you been podcasting? What got you into it, and what exactly are you doing? Because, like I said, you have several elements to your podcast. Yeah, well, I excuse me. I always give it up to this gentleman named Scott Sigler. Uh, he is a podcaster. He's an author. Um, a long time ago, I was I still am, but I used to listen to well some of the first podcasters I found. Let me say were authors who would read their books. Okay. You know, this is sort of, this is like before audiobooks became like big as they are today. Right, right. And, you know, there wasn't necessarily a platform for authors to put their books out. So they were doing them uh, through reading them online. And it was actually a little bit before the Kindle self-publishing yeah. boom kind of happened. So I got into that being that I love books and I dabble in being a writer as well. I just took to that and I was like, wow, okay. This is how Katz is doing it. And this, for me, you know, I had a background of being like a recording artist, kind of doing music and stuff. So I've always like, what's the next thing I can get to do that would let me put my art or what my thoughts out there? So, uh, like I said, Scott Sigler, I saw his podcast, was a fan of it. And I was like, oh, I think I want to try that. You know, and um, at the time I was doing a uh, duplication business, uh, CD duplication business. Okay. And I had some equipment just from doing music and stuff. And uh, so I called a buddy of mine, uh, which is kind of maybe similar to you, but uh, my best friend from middle school were super Prince fans. And we would be on the phone all the time talking about whatever new Prince thing yeah, is happening yeah. at the time. Same thing with me and Aaron. Yeah, yeah. see. And uh, so I just I said, hey, man, come over to the office. I had like a little office space at the time. I said, come over, man. I just want to, I want to record us talking about Prince. Okay. He was like, what, what is that about? I said, just, let's just do it, you know? And so that's how the Prince podcast started. That's how I got into podcasting. He would come over and we would just sit down in the office and just start shooting the ish about Prince and, yeah. you know, doing our thing and didn't think much about it. And I put it out there and, you know, it wasn't, there wasn't really a big, you know, podcasting was not what it was back then. When I say back then, this was probably about 15 years ago. Okay, yeah, yeah. That's kind of right around the, not not exactly the birth of podcasting, but it certainly was not widely yeah. known. Pe most people didn't know what a podcast was. Yeah, it was, that was like the, the early, like when, when, back then it was literally, you had to have an iPod. Yeah. You yeah. know, to, to do, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's where, you know, and so, and I didn't have an iPod, but I was still listening to them. 
uh, I would download them or whatever. But um, so, yeah, that I mean, that's how it started, man. And it was infrequent. You know, we may have done like one a month or something okay. like that. But uh, actually, that's a lot of podcasters do that one time a month thing. Actually, yeah. I know a guy. I know a guy who does a um, what's it called? Uh, History of World War II podcast, and he just does one episode, but it's heavily scripted. You know, okay, he sits and he writes out a script and all that stuff. So one, once a month isn't that unusual. It's unusual for me, but once a month is. <laughs> well, now, now you got guys doing them like two or three times a day. So yeah. like a whole. <laughs> hello, hello, Joe Rogan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, man, that was uh, that's how we got into it, and I think, and his name is Tobias. Shout out to Tobias. He probably stayed and did it. We might have done like four or five together. Okay. And you know, I I wanted to keep doing them, and yeah. I was like, I, hard for us to uh, connect because we're living lives, and so I ended up getting another co-host. Uh, shout out to Monique, uh, and then Monique came through. And we started doing it and get a little bit more consistent with it. And this would write for Prince fans. This would have been around the time that 3121, um, yep. the club, well, when, when Prince went to Vegas, when he had okay. his, uh, Vegas. Yeah. So that was around that time. And she came up with the idea. She said, you know, we should go to the Vegas shows and do like a yeah. something yeah. for the show or something. And I was like, okay. You know, I didn't had at this time, I didn't really know who was listening to the show. Uh, I just didn't have a way of gauging it at that point. Yeah. But uh, we went, uh, you know, got the okay from my wife to go with this other woman to Vegas. You <laughs> are just, cool. a, you're just as smart as I am. Checking those, checking in with the wife for those oh, kind yeah, of things. Oh, yeah, I wasn't crazy. <laughs> my, my wife no, is real we, good with a knife, so I, got, I, got, I have to ask her about those kind of things. <laughs> exactly, yeah, man. So we went, and um, at this point, um, I... Well, one thing I did, I didn't, I had not met Prince at this point or anything like that nature, but. Wait, uh, hold on. Are you going to tell me in a few sentences that you've actually met Prince? Well, that's what I'm saying. Actually, <laughs> I'm jumping the gun here. <laughs> physically first, first to first met him, but uh, I knew he was aware somewhat of what I was doing at this point. Uh, and I'll say because of that was um, when Prince was, before he had his first website, he had reached out to a couple of fans. Okay. Um, who had done a few things online at the time okay. to see if they could help him, you know, come up with something. So it was myself and a few other people, uh, one of note, uh, a gentleman by the name of Sam Jennings. And, you know, I, I, and this is early days, you know, I get this email and it's from Prince. <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> and, you know, it's like, yeah, you know, I'm going to have this uh, online meeting. I would love you to, to attend, da, 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 da. I'm like, cool. Okay. So when he gets to this meeting thing, it was basically, he was kind of seeing, you know, you know, I see what you guys are doing with your websites. I want to thinking on doing something. Maybe you guys can, wow. we can all come to come together and, you know, get some feedback and things of that nature. So the man himself reached out to you. Yeah. Okay. And one of the things he's, you know, one of the things was though, you kind of, he wanted you to kind of stop what you were doing and join his sort of thing. And for me, as much as I was like, oh, I can't believe I'm being recognized and, you know, this is Prince yeah, and da 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 You know, I'm also from the school of, nah, man, I, you know, Say I don't it. join nobody's yeah. thing. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. so I just, I politely, I say, hey, man, I appreciate this, but I'm cool. But uh, Wise I decision. Wise decision. I'll just say it. 
Yeah, you know, sometimes I look back, but then I know the kind of person I am. I yeah. probably wouldn't have, yeah, you know, exactly the yeah. thing. But uh, one of the people who did uh, stay uh, was Sam, this guy that I'm mentioning now. And I say it now because he's a good friend. And he ends up becoming, I don't know, if some Prince fans are going to know his name as I say it, but he goes on to work with Prince and they create the uh, many things with Prince, all of the Prince websites and uh, music club and all this stuff. Sam created, helped create all of this stuff. And like, take it back to that Vegas thing I brought. Yeah. So when I go to Vegas, uh, we get into the 3121 club that Prince had at the Rio. And the first moment I walk through the door, I see Sam. We had never met in person, but we kind of knew each other's pictures. And I was like, Sam, he's like, Michael. And I was like, yeah, man. He was like, I was just like, great to meet you. And I'm like, oh, y'all, you here with, like, okay. You really took that opportunity. You here with him and y'all doing this together. And he was like, yeah, man. Uh, he's like, let me show you Vegas. And uh, so that was probably around 10 o'clock at night. Mm -hmm. I don't get back to my hotel probably about 10 o'clock in the morning the next day. Like, so he just took me, we had a ball. You saw it all, yeah. Saw it all and stuff I probably shouldn't saw. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's Vegas. It was, it's Vegas. It, yeah, yeah, what stays in Vegas, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Was this before your wife or were you married at the time? Well, I didn't do any. I wasn't, <laughs> let me be clear. I wasn't doing nothing. That I'm, I just been doing. I'm just messing. <laughs> I'm just Hence messing. I'm just messing. I'm not married anymore, but it had nothing to do with that. <laughs> I'm just messing around. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, um, so here's the funny thing. Um, we had planned to do a meet and greet. Again, I had no idea no. if anybody was listening to the show like that, but we just decided to do one and it was going to be the next day. Well, because I didn't get back to my hotel until in the morning, the meet and greet was, I think, at noon or something. So I was out. I, I didn't think anybody was, you know, had no idea anyway. And come to find out when I got back home later, People was like, yo, man, we were all ready for you guys at this meet and greet thing. What happened? I just felt so bad. I was like, well, and at that point, I said, you know, I'll never like take this for granted. Like, um, I should take it more serious. Yeah. Uh, you know, so that's just something I always, I always talk about. But yeah, yeah. So been doing the podcast for a minute. Let, let me, let me ask you this. Mm -hmm. um, I only, I only have one. Prince story, which is kind of like a having contact with Prince. Okay. But you actually communicated directly with him through, you know, through, through this email and whatnot. What did that do for you as a, as a listener uh, of his music, as someone who appreciated his talent? You know, because <clears throat> let, let's let's just face it: there's some people who aren't um, all that familiar. Uh, you know, they might have heard a song or two from Purple Rain. Mm. They may have even seen the movie, but they're kind of locked in that phase of Prince's career and they may right. not even like it. So they may not have an idea of who Prince is, but we know who he is and what he's done. What did that do? What did that tell you when you, yeah. I mean, it, it must've been a, it must've been a special kind of feeling here. You are, you're doing something and, and you certainly weren't planning on having any contact with him. And then all of a sudden you do. You know, at the time I probably, I mean, I took it serious, but I'm kind of also one of the kind of people that in the moment I kind of play things off sometimes. So as much as important it was to me, uh, I remember a buddy of mine at the time, I showed him that email. I was like, dude, I said, this is from Prince. 
and it was a big deal, but I didn't keep the copy of that. It kind of okay. show you how much of a big deal it was. <laughs> um, but it just felt, I felt like, okay, you know, it kinda, some kinda, of this matters a little bit. I was bit, just going to say, like, it probably reinforced your feelings about what you were doing. You know, you're, you're obviously doing something right if you got mm-hmm. the attention of the man himself. It's hard. It's hard for me to remember. Uh, to be honest with you, um, I probably felt more of uh, the importance of it. Unfortunately, when he passed, I see. But at the time, I mean, at the time, I was. I mean, the whole reason I was doing it anyway and still do it is because, you know, I love Prince. And what I mean, what I say, I love Prince. You know, I uh, always take away his work ethic. And just his like, yeah, you know, determination oh, yeah. to do whatever it, whatever it is you're trying to do, and that and his belief in himself, me. his belief yeah. in himself, yeah. So for me, I have already like, I'm I'm in with that. Of course, the music and all that, but you know, the thing about Prince that always really got me is when I watched Purple Rain and I just saw them rehearsing. Like, yeah. I was just like, oh, they taking it serious. Like yeah. they're putting in work. You know, that's why I always say work like a job. Like. I like that well, phrase, I, I by the read, way. Yeah. Thank. I would read those stories about Prince and them always rehearsing, and sometimes they didn't even go on tour. But right. you had to show up every day, so staying sharp. And, it's it's yeah. like a job. Exactly. And, you know, so, I, I'm into powerlifting, so I look at things like that, like okay. training. It's in a training atmosphere. You're trying, you're, mm-hmm. you're trying to get better at your craft, and he took that seriously. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's what you know really spoke to me and. You know, a lot of that too. Um, I think when I look up at certain men, uh, father type things, those kind of not drill sergeant style, but just you know, in my family, my grandfather is always about handling your business, right? And showing up and doing what you're supposed to do. And I, to me, I felt that kind of presence from Prince. Just yeah, like how could he have all of this if he wasn't the driving force and putting in work and going hard? So that was the thing I really. He, he always yeah. gave me the impression of being the type of person who, I don't think it's that he, you know, I don't know, but it seemed like, it's not like he didn't trust people, but he mm-hmm. didn't trust people to do anything for him. He took responsibility. He wanted it done. He did it himself in just yeah. about all aspects of his music and business life. That seems to be, mm-hmm. that's the impression I got from him at, at, at least. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's. That's something to learn mm-hmm. from. Yeah, very much something that I think I try to hold up when I'm whatever I'm doing is, you know, I'm not going to wait. I, I'm a guy. I don't like to wait on nobody else. So I just don't want to make any excuses. So I'm going to do it. I, I'll do it then. Like, that's cool. And I don't have no malice about, yeah. you know, you couldn't do it. No, no problem. Right. We, right. We're going to get yeah. on these mics or, you know, we're going to do this show. I'll tell you this. The thing that probably took away the most or that really impacted me about Prince is uh, the when he came to town for his One Night Alone uh, show. It was like the Rainbow Children time. One of my favorite albums, when, by the way. Yeah, and that was when they had the sound checks you could go to Yeah. Uh, before the show. Going to the sound check, that's when I was like, okay. You saw the man at work. You saw the man at work. Yeah, and just I got to sit there and just like see everything. And, and I remember when he... um you were sitting at the very front of the stage. Uh, Tobias was with me, uh, who I started the show with, and another good friend was there. And I just remember seeing Prince walk up 
in front of us and go up the little steps to the stage. And I just kind of, I was like, oh shit, that's him right wow. there. And I just, that's the first time seeing him up close in person. Right. And he didn't have all the makeup and all that. So I, I just, the thing I remember, I looked at his eyes and they were like really baggy. And I was like, this brother is putting in work. He looked tired, but I was yeah. like, he's here doing this and he's allowing us to watch. And yeah. that was the thing that really like struck me. And I was like, wow, this is not just something I'm, I always watch on TV or these videos. Right, or, right. You know, this is a real person. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, he, and he's like, he's a master at what he does. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you summed it up well with that sentence there. He is a master at what he does. Mm -hmm. Um, I saw him when he came to Norway in 2011, he did two shows okay. and uh, my wife and I were there at the second show. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> we were on the floor, you know, two feet from the stage he, he sweated wow. on us. Wow. Okay. <laughs> that's how close, that's how close <laughs> we were. And I, I can't remember how long he played. I want to say it was two hours plus. Okay. And, you know, I've seen countless videos, you know, people bootleg film. And mm -hmm. so I've seen him perform before. But again, it's, it's different when you're there. It's different when you see it. It's different when you can almost feel <clears throat> the interaction he has with his band, mm -hmm. that wordless communication. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a musician as well. And, and, you know, you have to, you, you, you have to work your instrument to, to impress me. I know what's good and I know what's, mm. what's bad. And I okay. thought I knew what excellent was <laughs> until I saw that concert, you know, just the yeah. stuff, just the stuff he was doing. You know, playing his guitar one-handed on a solo and soloing with it on the keyboard at the same time. And people talk about, oh, well, you know, Getty Lee from Rush can do that. I like Rush. I like Getty Lee. But Getty Lee cannot do what Prince did. Not like it's, he did. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and you just, you don't, you don't understand it if you, if you, you know, you, you have to get beyond, which, which and, and don't get me wrong, I'm very impressed with everything he did, uh, Purple Rain and, and pre-Purple Rain, but you've got to get beyond that to truly, you know, mm. get beyond that in years. I'm talking to truly understand and appreciate what that man could do as a musician, as an entertainer, and as an artist. Just, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's just, just incredible, the stuff he did. And again, it's not just the music, it's not just the entertainment, but it's the business side. It's the mm. humanitarian side, which I think is, is a beautiful thing to see since he's passed more and more information is coming out about his humanitarian work, things that he did yeah. for people Absolutely. who were, who were less advantaged. Um, right. Yeah. So yeah. I see, I understand why you're motivated to have a podcast that focuses on, on his, him and his work. Yeah. You know, there's, there are a few things that I'm into, you know, I am a child of, I guess the seventies, uh, you know, born in 69. And one of the, um, there are there are the, like moments in your life that just kind of like click things on in your life in your yes. head yeah. or that just change the needle. One of those for me was seeing Purple Rain uh, when it came out. Uh, and I had been exposed to Prince before that, but didn't really know who he was. You know, I had a, a cousin. Uh, she had she uh, moved to Houston, Texas. 
And I remember going to visit her for the summer, which, you know, visit family. And Prince was the king. Yeah. <laughs> this was like yeah. 81, maybe. So I guess he was on Controversy, Controversy or something. Yeah. Yeah. And I had no idea who the hell Prince was. I didn't hear the music. Okay. But that's all she talked about. <laughs> like well, she so would take me over her friend's house and that was all they were playing. And she had the controversy poster on the wall. Yeah, and yeah. I looked at that. And I'm like, who in the heck? You know, this was for me, you know, hip hop was just sort of coming in. So I was like heavy. Right, right. Like run DMC and things of that yeah. nature. So I'm like, who is this half <laughs> man? You know, I mean, I was all, yeah, this all of that. Yeah. And I'm like, nah. And my, I just remember my grandmother, she, cause she came, me and her came together and she saw that poster on the wall. <laughs> Uh, just shredded. My my cousin was heartbroken. I laughed because I just thought it was yeah, funny. Yeah. But and then I didn't think nothing about. It. I went back to Seattle. They weren't playing Prince on the radio, and no. MTV hadn't really clicked at that point. No. I had no idea who the hell he was. So Two years was, later, say it again. No, I was going to say so. There was really no connection with him or his music until Purple Rain. That's what did it until for Purple you. Purple Rain. You know when it was when Doves Cry sort of became a pop number one across the board. It was all on the radio. So then, yeah, okay. And MTV was kicking. And at this point, my cousin moved back to Seattle. And one of the first things, she was like, we got to go to the record store. The new Prince album's coming out. And I was like, oh, so? (laughs) Why do you want to buy that? (laughs) And uh, she's like, we're going to get it. So we went and got Purple Rain and she bought the Times album. Yes. And I had, I had went and got King of Rock, I think, at the time. <laughs> uh, and we, I just remember sitting in the park and we had a little boom box and we had to take turns playing the cassette tapes. And so she put on Purple Rain and all this comes out. And I was like, I was kind of like, it was like, what I wanted to hate. But then as I was listening, I was like, you can't. God, this is actually, this is actually kind of good. Like, what is this? See, see I had talking yeah. about wanting to hate this. That, that reminds me. See, see, I was, I was in the, I'll tell you this. When, when Purple Rain came out, I got the, the movie on VHS for Christmas. Mm. And I think I watched it, man, at least four times on Christmas day over and over. But, <laughs> wow, but yeah. now, now I was already uh, familiar with Prince. I was familiar familiar with Prince okay. from the get-go his first album I remember hearing it on the radio and then this is back when where, where were you at uh, where'd you live at Ohio okay small okay. small town Ohio okay um out in the sticks <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I and I, I gotta tell you this kind of ties into what I'm gonna say about people trying to hate on Prince but uh but I I was into him on, from the get-go I remember they played uh soft and wet on the R&B uh, radio station 93.1 coming out of Cleveland, Ohio. And then the DJ talked for like 10 minutes about how this was one person, barely mm. an adult, playing all these instruments. And and as an eight-year-old kid, that, that fascinated me. I'm like, what is right. this? And then from there, fast forward just a couple weeks after I heard that, this girl, Cindy Coe is her name. Shout out to Cindy lived down the road from me out there in the country. She came up with a tape, a, a bootleg tape that she had recorded for you, his first album and said, here, okay. listen, listen to this. And then I listened to the whole thing and just, and, and I, as, as an eight year old kid, barely having a true appreciation for music, my jaw hit the floor 
from listening to that one album. I couldn't wow. get my head around the concept of one person playing all instruments. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't know anything about overdubs and, and stuff like mm -hmm. that. I just, I couldn't figure out how that was, how that was true. So I became a <laughs> Prince fan from the get-go. Now, wow. like I said, I grew up out in the sticks. Uh, we were, well, before Aaron, my buddy Aaron, who talked with you and introduced mm -hmm. us, before he came to our school, which was in... And maybe a couple of years after that, right around 1980s, when he came to our high school from the city, I was the only black kid in my class. Okay, oh, yeah. so I grew up around country music, pop, rock, mm -hmm. metal. Uh, mm -hmm. And 1978, as you may know, is the first year or the first album that Van Halen also came with. I so Van, ha yeah, so Van Halen was the that that's that's the band that counted uh, mm -hmm. in my class. And I would tell everybody, oh, you, Eddie Van Halen, he, he, he can't play no guitar. It's Prince. Oh, Prince. He was saying that back then. I was wow. saying that back then. Eddie, I mean, you know how kids are just going to mess with you. Of course, Eddie Van Halen was good. Of course, I liked that album. Mm -hmm. But I had to support Prince. I got so you. I tell people, no, you need to listen to you need to listen to this album and listen to this man play. And by the way, he's playing everything. And everybody that I told that to, when they ended up listening, of course, they were hating on him. They would see his picture and, oh, who's this little girly man and all this stuff. But when they heard his music, they couldn't help but appreciate it. It was impossible to hate on it. You have yeah. to, you have to, if you understand music and you listen to what he's doing, you have to appreciate it. You, you can't hate it. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So. Yeah, I can dig that. Yeah, going yeah, back that to, when I saw that movie. Yeah, that's what, yeah. I was blown away. I was just like. I was like, God. I mean, just to see it on the big screen, I'd never seen the, yeah. it was like introducing a whole scene to us, you know, just, yeah. you know, that environment and Morris and all that. Was like, Wasn't wow. it exciting the way it brought out that sense of competition between the mm. bands at First Avenue there? Yeah. And yeah. I, I never thought of music in that way before. You know, that you had to outperform somebody in order to make it. Mm. I never, I, I didn't grasp that concept until I saw that in the movie. You know that you say that it's interesting. Is that actually to me plays into the same in my mind the same sort of mentality of hip hop uh, okay. in the terms of the boastfulness right, and yeah. the battle, yeah. rap battling, who could rap the best or who could dress the best. I, th I think that may be a you know that's well better or worse. It's sort of a thing with black people in America where we're sort of competing against each other in some capacity. And even if it's sort of done in those realms, is it's not necessarily a negative thing, but you don't normally see that in other genres of music that do not involve us that I can think of. Like, I don't know, maybe of rock, do they have this sort of competitive nature? Not really. Not really. You know what I mean? Yeah. Not really. Not that I've ever seen anyway. Yeah. But so. th thinking about black people and co and and competing with each other, do, it's not a negative thing. Competition is a good thing. But can we as a people, can black Americans afford to compete with each other? Aren't we competing against a system that's set up to, <laughs> right. to, 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 to keep us down? And then here we are competing about, uh, you know, pulling the crabs down into the bucket, that whole analogy there. And I wonder if that's sort of the, you know, where that comes from a little bit. You know, why are we competing? Who are we, Whose attention are we competing for? Right. You know, you know, but... Like I said, I understand it. I do. I think there's some good, there can be good of healthy competition with, I think, with a lot of things that we do. 
it may have started in the wrong place, but we sort of sometimes flip things on their head and well, sort yeah. of make it, we can make something good out of this. Yeah. You know, so I think, I think that's sort of where some of that comes from. And so when you say that about the movie, I think that did speak to a lot of people. Yeah. It spoke to me for sure, just as much as it spoke to me when I saw, um, you know, maybe another year later, Crush Groove sort of plays the same yeah. sort yeah. of story. And it's a competitiveness between certain people in that. Uh, I did you know, see Crush Groove, but I need to watch it again because I cannot remember details about it. I just know that I watched <laughs> it. I need to get Man. back and check that one out again. Yeah. So, so Purple Rain, I want to just real quick. So Purple Rain, you know, that comes out, that that comes out and it's like a Marvel movie. It, that's how we look oh, at yeah. it. Like Absolutely. The whole school went to go see that movie, right? Yeah. Um, blew me away. I became a hardcore fan at that point. Uh, I, just to go to Crush Groove real quick, I remember the day Crush Groove came out. It was the same type of rush. Uh, I remember the day it came out, Wow. Me and my buddies, we had to go see it. We went to this theater downtown. And at this point, I'm fully immersed into like hip hop and stuff. Though I though everyone knows me as, oh, he's the cat that like Prince. And I was also a huge Michael still, Jackson fan. Okay, so Michael I was, too. Yeah. Yeah. That was that was my thing. So I had the juice, I had the Jerry Curl, but I had, you know, you the too. jean jackets, the <laughs> shell toe Adidas, all, you know, all that, right? And I knew Sheila was in it. Yeah. So I knew there yeah. was a Prince connection. Yeah. But but I was, I say to say that with the day it came out, we bum rushed to that theater. We went to the very first showing and then we sat in those seats for the next three and did oh. not get up and oh. watched it four times in one night. See, now that's probably what I would have done. If I could have got away with it, if I'd have been at a theater for Purple Rain, I probably would have done that. Right. As it is. Yeah. I, like I said, I watched it like four times at home. So Yeah, man. That was and, and you know, those those are those types of moments. You know, the other moment for me, and I would do a podcast about it if I felt I was knowledgeable enough, and I, I probably am, is Star Wars. Like Oh, that's the first movie I, I saw in the theater was the first Star Wars. Okay. First wow. movie I ever saw in the theater was that. Really? Yep. Really? Yep. Wow. Yeah. I remember seeing that the first time I saw it. I, didn't, I couldn't understand the movie when I first saw it, but I remember going to see it. And then it was just a thing. Like every time you went over your friend's house or there was a get together with the kids, the parents would take us to Star Wars. Yeah. That was like, that was the thing. You, you well, would was go a see Star Wars. Film. It was a groundbreaking oh. film for the, for the story, for the cinematography. It, it yeah. Was, uh, yeah. That, that turned, that was a light bulb switch in my mind when uh-huh. I saw that. And I was like, okay, um, right. this is for life for me. I'm, you know, science fiction, uh, all, so, so many, you know, Prince, science fiction, all of that in the same sort of see, thing see, and this me. this matches up with what I said at the beginning is that we have a lot of things in common. Okay, mm. okay. you you follow Prince in his music, so do I. Uh, now I know you're a Star Wars fan, so am I. Oh, yes. uh, you're <laughs> okay. a musician, so am I. Uh, okay. You uh, you're a you're a doer for your for self, so am I. <laughs> Now, awesome. let me ask you this about music. When did you, was it Prince who inspired you to get into to, to music? Or did you have that in you already? Uh, looking back, I had it in me and it probably came more so from my parents and listening to music and probably like what it made me feel like when I heard certain songs. Um, again, I said I was a huge, I still am a big Michael Jackson fan. So growing up, 
Michael Jackson, the Jacksons, sort of like in my DNA. Okay. Uh, Michael you know, never heavy. did anything for me. Really? I respect, oh. respect him. I see his talent, but he just, he never really did anything for me. Love. I was just watching. I'm, I'm gonna, I could go on tangents. So you can pull me back when you want to. My podcast <laughs> is a tangent. Okay. okay. There is okay. no, there is no format here. <laughs> All right. I was just watching, uh, I was actually watching some bodies reactions uh-huh. to Zack Snyder's justice league. And they were getting to the parts where they were showing Superman and stuff. And, oh, I'm sorry. No, they were watching Batman v Superman, which is, uh, I'll say, it's one of my favorite movies of all time. With that said, they were showing the stuff with Superman, and it was like, Superman just really wants to just prove to the world that he is a good guy, and he's here to help people, but the world is going to be the world, and he was going through a lot of shit. And I was looking at that, and I was like, you know what? That's Michael Jackson. I was like, Michael Jackson and Superman. Because in my mind, Michael Jackson is just purely the most innocent. He's, you know, his essence of a child still runs through him as an adult. And obviously he's had a life that none of us have ever or probably ever will live in terms of how he was right. raised and coming through that child star prodigy right. yeah. and all of that stuff and not having this the normal sort of school upbringing and different things. Yeah. And he's, you know. And so I was like, he's thrust into this, but he's super gifted and obviously just ridiculously talented. Yeah. And there's just some about something about him that just speaks to people. I see mainly that. I see kids that. Yeah. can just identify with him. Like my daughter is five. She doesn't know the history of Michael Jackson at all. But let me turn on one of his songs or videos. You think that she knew everything. She's locked in, right? And I was like, there's something there. Yeah. And I was like, the world is going to have, is going to try and corrupt that. There's no way you're going to have somebody that is the, that much power, that much sort of love and innocence. The world does not. There's a lot of jealousy in the world and that jealousy exactly. will corrupt that type of talent, that level of talent. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, they tried to destroy him. They see how they see his difference. They see his, his otherness. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they see his talent, and 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 it pushes people to put it in a negative light, immediately. Yeah. And they're, they're gonna love him, yeah. Initially, because they can't help but love him, is just especially he's a child. And it's like, oh, he just brings happiness, yeah. and he's gonna grow into a certain point. And he's gonna become very powerful, probably just based off of his gifts and what he's giving. But there's gonna be a certain time when they can't use him, or he's beyond their control. And someone's going to try to turn that. And whether it's from, you know, a father who's like, ah, oh, he's a money bag. If yeah. I tell my son to say this, we can extort this. And then there's this other people in play who, you know, be like, oh, he has to be evil. He, yeah. he must yeah. have been doing it. Let's turn the, you know. And I was just like, he was Superman. This way in that movie, how Superman was just trying to be good, but Lex just could not except that. And even <laughs> people were scared of us. They don't know what to make of this thing. It is so different. Uh, they loved him at first, but he still terrifies them because they don't really just like, I it's don't know. Sad. It's kind of sad that towards the end of Michael Jackson's life for actually for quite some time, you could say maybe the last decade of his life, there is this buildup of animosity mm-hmm. towards him. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I don't, I don't know what, how do I say this? Uh, you know, all these allegations of, of child molestation and whatnot. 
I, you know, I, I also do stand-up comedy, and I joke about that about Michael oh, Jackson and what he went through. But but it but it's but it's not. Uh, I, I don't I don't believe that Michael Jackson was a pedophile. I believe that Michael Jackson's um, lifestyle, because of his differentness, because of his exclusion from normal society, because of his talent, mm. led him to relate to children in a mm. way that others couldn't relate to. They didn't understand his relationship with children. That's what I think. You know, and, I'm yeah, not a, say, You kind of assume, well, then you have to assume he must have been doing something wrong because you couldn't see yourself yeah. Yeah, see, relating it, it, exactly. to kids on and, that and, level, And I think right? that's that evil, that mean side of humanity that automatically jumps to that because I looked at, those allegations and, and thought, you know, leave the man alone. Is it weird? Yeah. Is it different? Yeah. Would I hang out mm. with kids like that? No. But right. why jump to that? You know, and then how many of these people are just trying to get some kind of financial settlement out of him? You know, so you got to take, or I took all of that with a grain of salt and, and yeah, it just, it just and, seemed like such a terrible run for the last 10 years of his life. Nothing but torment with lawsuits and, and, and things like that. And, but that's the yeah, price of being talented. You started to see the you started to see it wear on him and wear it down. You know, so ultimately, where you know, he he dies at an early death. Yeah. Uh, I think he will be a very. I mean, he already is. But I think even like twenty or thirty years from now, he is going to be seen even more fascinating than we Do you think so? remember. I think, I think so. Yeah. I, I don't think so. I think that you know, Mike. And I'm not trying to 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 say anything negative mm -hmm. about the man, but I think that Michael Jackson is already so loved and his life is already so well known and well documented. Mm -hmm. I can't see him getting more popular than what he is. But on the other hand, I think Prince will gain in popularity and, and notoriety. I think there's uh -oh. a lot of things about his life uh, and his, well, think about the, 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 the rumored vault of, of music that he has, you know, look at this album coming out. When is they're releasing it mm -hmm. in June on his birthday, I believe. Or, I, I, yeah, I'm not sure when it's re being released, but this new album that they're going to release of Prince's, and there's enough there's enough albums to get an album a year for the next mm -hmm. hundred years, at least. No, I, well, I think Prince is going to, I think Prince can only go up in terms yeah. of, you know, learning more about, because there's a lot we don't know about right. Prince. exactly, that's my point. Yeah. Um, but I guess my point to say about Michael Jackson is I think that there'll be enough time where I, th I still think a lot of this generation remembers the wacko jacko and all of that taint on him. And I think like it my daughter's down. age, they don't know anything about that. Okay, I understand. <laughs> you know yeah. I'm saying? They just only, this is something that my, my parents sort of play sometimes or that I sort of see in pop culture. It seems fascinating, but I don't really know the depths of how big he was. Right. And I think right. there'll be something later in the history where they'll be like, this guy was, you know, you'll see that his, his touches on everything. And I just think his music will still be just as, again, you can turn on for somebody who doesn't know it and it's going to instantly like, yeah, yeah wow, the sound yeah. of his voice or there's just that something in it. I think it was, and then just looking at, you look at how he looked when he was a kid yeah. versus how he looked when he died. There's nobody in popular <laughs> culture who's transformed his visuals right. look like, like that. I just Nobody think it would be yeah. so fascinating later. I don't know. Let's, uh, uh, 
let's let's do another podcast in 50 years and see where Michael Jackson is then. <laughs> awesome. I, I, I have this uh, book I've been working on. It's, it's a fiction book, science fiction. And the book starts, uh, it's a, a huge concert. And it is a concert of uh, AI, Michael Jackson and Prince. <laughs> and, and it is, you know, it has been the, the, the estates or both of them have sold the rights to both of, you know, not only the music, but their, who they are their as essence, people. Their very essence. And these other companies have come through and created new music wow. using the sound samples and all of this stuff of them and created this dope-ass duets album. And, you know, it takes place a little bit in the future. And they are the biggest thing going now right that, now. Now that and, is a book. Yeah, and they're like, since it's... Uh, you know, it's AI and it's sort of a CGI hologram thing. They're on tour around the world in multiple places at the same time because it's, you know, AI. So there's a, so in the concert at this one, there's a big open air concert, Michael Jackson and Prince doing their thing. Songs are, you know, take the greatness of Prince, take the greatness of Michael and you put it, it in, in the computer show. and it made this dope ass album but the kids and those people at that time are hard pressed to think that that's not really them because uh -huh. they don't know the history i mean right. it's just, so it's only the older people who are sort of like that ain't the real you know they ain't. <laughs> and they just seem like haters because it's like this is dope like, they're you know this is pretty and you know so this and it just kind of frames what kind of world that this story takes place i, I would probably be taking that I would probably be I would a probably hater. be a hater too. The biggest movie at the time, one of the other characters in the in the book, he, be, he ends up becoming a uh, he's a mech uh, fighter pilot. But originally, he is a movie star, action movie star. But he is in uh, Fast and the Furious Thirty. But it stars <laughs> <laughs> it stars him, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and Bruce Lee. Uh huh. And they are obviously AI CGI versions of them in the movie. But again, to the culture of that time, they'd they, be, you'd be hard pressed to tell them that's not like Bruce Lee is not a real person is. and Schwarzenegger is not the real person at that time. And in Hollywood's thing is why recreate and try to invest into new actors and hope that they become icons when we can take right, icons right. We know that work and put them in movies. What a concept. Maybe another person. So how far along are you with this book? Uh, I'm actually, it, it's actually a book I actually already had released, but then I oh. took it back and I'm adding more of this okay. stuff to it. Okay. Um, so it's, it's coming. Um, and you gotta let me know. I have, I have like, I don't have any at the moment. I have like t-shirts and posters <laughs> and stuff of this, wow. but uh, it's uh yeah, it's an interesting oh, story. You gotta, you gotta let me know when that comes out. I'll get oh, you I back will, on. Man. We can talk about that on another yes, episode. Sir. Yes, sir. It's Absolutely. a book. Uh, Real quick, I would say one of the first things that happened in the book, well, I'll say the setup of it. The setup is that this concert thing goes on and a giant spaceship just comes out of the sky, crash lands into the city, smashing through buildings and smashes right into that concert thing. And so the presence of that obviously would change the world forever if that actually happened. Uh, I would describe this book as probably a... It, it is Robotech meets Minister Society uh, and is this epic sort of tale. Uh, I'll oh, say that man. much. And the very, the very, one of the very first things that happens in the book, it's sort of a flashback to one of the moon landings. And 
there's the moon landing that we saw on TV, but there was a secret mission where a couple of the other astronauts who were actually CIA guys, they were going to investigate a signal that had been coming from the moon. So they go off into this thing on the moon and it's like a cavern or something. They go down there, find the signal. But when they get to it, they find the body of a black woman in there. Uh-huh. And they're determined that they this body has been here for millions of years. And we can't let nobody know about this because <laughs> that would change the world's dynamics overnight. If somebody said there was a black woman on the moon that kind yes. of predates Earth, like that's I was just going to say, I don't think there's any racists listening to my podcast, but if they are, they're pissed <laughs> off thinking about black people, not just originating from black people in Africa, but also on the moon. Yeah, it would be, it would be quite the headbuster, as I say. Oh man. But anyway, enough of that. Um, let, let me ask you this. One one more Prince question before I, I mm-hmm. ask you a few other things or we, we dive into a couple other subjects. Do you think that his death was without any criminal element? Hmm. I don't. Well, I, I don't. Let me tell. Uh, let me tell you what I think. Let me let me tell you sure, what I think, and then you and then you you. Let me just bounce this off for you. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know the inner workings of his finances, but I do know, like anyone who 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 knew Prince's music, uh, I do know that he was working to to uh, make some significant financial gains through mm-hmm. his master recordings. Uh, yeah. I do know, uh, and anyone who knows anything about Prince know that he was one who spoke clearly and loudly about the importance of owning your own work. Absolutely. Uh, we also know that he, uh, there's a video uh, clip out there. It's been going around on Facebook. Uh, uh, I see it. It comes up on my timeline every year as those one-year memories, and then I repost it. Uh, Prince is at the, uh, was it some sort of NAACP award ceremony or was it an ebony jet, some sort of ceremony and he gets up on the podium Mm -hmm. and it's full of black people. This is why I'm thinking it was NAACP or ebony jet, something like that. The whole audience was black. There's a shot of Russell Simmons looking like, yes, (laughs) and Prince, yes. And Prince said something to the effect that. They call you a minority, you know, speaking to the crowd. He says, but mm-hmm. stop and look at yourselves. You are the yep. majority here. You mm-hmm. are the talent. You are the money makers. I'm paraphrasing here. Mm-hmm. You are the money makers. Imagine what kind of a game it would be if we were the ones making the rules. And I always thought, <clears throat> when I saw that clip and I heard him saying that, and he said other things on the same subject, but when he said it in that way, I'm like, He's not just talking about his own work, which has a value of however many hundreds of millions. He's talking about the entire industry, which mm-hmm. has a value of however many hundreds of billions, if not a few trillion dollars. And he's talking about shaking up that system and putting the money in the hands of all of those black artists who are the movers and shakers out there in the field doing the work. Right. And I remember thinking, there's some dudes in some suits and ties and some lawyer types that don't like that. There's some suits and ties and lawyer types who not only don't like it, 
they are enraged by that. And they will do, I mean, people have been killed for less. Absolutely. Right? And I believe that him, I don't want to call this a conspiracy theory. This is just what I feel. And I don't think it's illogical what I'm saying, what I'm saying here. I think that Prince not only talked so much about taking the power that his own recordings had, I believe he did things to take the power and the wealth of his recordings. And I believe he encouraged others to do it to the point that it pissed off enough people to where somebody, hmm. I, I think there was, a, I think there was a dirty hand in his death. I don't think it was just an accidental overdose. I think it was accidental in the sense that he didn't mean to overdose, mm -hmm. but there's too much funny business going on around his death for me to believe that there wasn't someone who had something to do with that. And, and then just, again, just, just listening to his, listening to his words over the last right. 20 years and what he was doing, what he was trying to do and what he did do and what he was encouraging others to do. I don't think it's unreasonable to think that somebody, uh, somebody played a hand in his death for financial reasons. You know, I can't, I can't, I mean, that's an interesting take. I can see the. You can logic say it's crazy. You I think it's crazy. Well, I don't think it's crazy. I see the logic <laughs> in what you're saying. You know, I, I, I don't know. I, I've heard something. You know, being that you know, sometimes you do these interviews and people say a lot things. of off the record type sure. of stuff that I don't sure. put out. Sure. So I've heard some things. I'll say this. The, my my take on it is that could be true. Um. There's obviously, I think, more to the drug thing. You know, I like you know where it's still an answer to me. At least I, I missed it. Where he got it from, or what was going on with that? Who was supplying it, and things of that nature. But I don't think anyone. I don't personally think anybody forced it in his mouth. No, no. And so, for the kind of person that I am, you know, I say, well, as a man, you know, we make a decision on what we're going to do. And Prince was. He seemed like one of those types of guys and people who work with him told me, you don't tell Prince nothing. Right. He tells you what he's going to do. I believe that. Yeah. So to me, I look at it in a sense and, you know, maybe like you, you know, I'm a father. And so I sort of look at things, sort of the realms of, yeah. you know, I have children or people that I have to answer to and that I'm responsible for. So I'm going to make a decision on what I choose to do, and I'm going to have to deal with the consequences, and those consequences may affect somebody else down the line. So right. I always have to keep that in my head when I'm doing something. Right. And right. so when I look at Prince, I look at it and say, well, this is a guy who has, he's incredibly talented. He knows he's incredibly talented. He's actually very intelligent. Uh, he's he started from the bottom and bootstrapped yeah. himself up yes, into these, you know, to what he is, his self-made. Amen. Um, you know, looking back at his childhood and sort of, you know, his relationship with his dad and, you know, his mom. And, you know, sometimes that frames how we do things as an adult where I'm never going to let myself be disappointed or let somebody have power over me because I don't want to ever feel that again as I felt before I'm going to always be in charge and can't tell me thing. I feel like, uh, he might've been dealing with whatever it was, or he may have been like a lot of us, some men, we don't really take our health as serious as we talk it. Yeah. 
And there might be things going on where we know ain't right with us, but our pride and ego are not going to allow us to look weak out here. And when I look at Prince, he seems like a type of guy who his pride and ego are up here. Uh, Cause again, this is a man and I'm not saying this in disparaging to Prince. I love him, but yeah, I understand. He has, he has makeup at all times. He has to always be seen in a position always, of power at always. all times. There's something behind that. Like, yeah. why Why would you need to always need to be in control? Right, right. So I feel like he might have been dealing with some stuff, but because he does not want to be seen as weak, he was not going to openly acknowledge these issues. And he always, you know, his whole sort of adult life is always about being on performance time. Yeah. He's always sprints. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so even though he may be struggling with some issues where he is super in pain and has to take these problems because he does not want to let you know that he's got to do everything to hide behind something. And so he's probably was going through a lot. I think when he had that, when he kind of died on that plane yeah, and had to bring the plane down to me, that was God saying, listen, man, you ain't going to listen to nobody else. Right, <laughs> you right. know what I mean? Like there's only so many people that you're going to allow to speak into you that you're going to listen to. And let me show you the power of God. And hopefully let me, I can wake Let me you take up. your life for a few minutes. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So it's nothing. Cause I, you know, I can take your riches, whatever, but I'm going to actually literally Let take, take your, your life, life yeah. and give it for those, back to for you. For those who don't know, he was actually, um, uh, you know, he, he was out, coded out uh, mm-hmm. on a flight, on a plane. Um, they thought he was gone. Uh, how yeah. long How long before he actually passed? Just a couple of weeks, maybe? Yeah, if, I think I a week right? or so yeah, or something, something like that. Like that. So, and I think for normal people who have sort of had a traditional you know, life, that would have might have been enough to <laughs> let me pump my brakes. Well, you know what I mean? Yeah, but sometimes, sometimes, you know, it all depends on if he was an addict at that point. And, and, it again, all depends he have, because that I don't know, right? That's exactly that's, saying, that's like, the thing that's kind of, you know, nobody knows was he an addict at that point or did this overdose just kind of happen then on the plane for the very first time? Sure. And that was the first signal at all. Uh, of him having any kind of a uh, of an issue with 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 opiates, nobody and knows. Nobody knows the answer. Well, well, I'm sorry. People do know, but it hasn't people, come out. It hasn't come out. Yet. Right. I guess in and, my you know, in my admiration for the man, I don't want him to have been an addict before that. Um, right, and you know, the, the people have. For I would imagine probably a lot of people who dibble and dabble and things or get on that level. They've probably had a few bumps in the road. Sure. You know, it's just a logical thing without sure. me saying too much. So there's probably sure. been other situations probably. that may have happened. Probably. You know, and maybe this would have been the, but it never got to this point. But again, who knows? You get to a point where it's like, okay, man, you, you actually kind of, like you said, yeah. coded out this time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> maybe it's time to pump your brakes. But you know, I, I put Michael on the same boat. I put Whitney. Yeah. And there's been countless of these rock stars who've I went put, out this way. I put my son in that boat as well. My son okay. passed away from a heroin oh. overdose in 2019, November of 2019. Oh, and man. that at that point was his seventh or eighth overdose. Oh, 
So that right there is a testament to how when that stuff gets a hold of you, it's got a hold of you. And sometimes even countless overdoses will not wake a person up. It didn't wake mm. my son up and he's gone now. Man, my heart goes out to you. Yeah, I can't thank you. imagine what's happening to my kid. His mm. passing is actually the reason for me doing this podcast. Um, mm. I started this podcast in March March of 2020, just a few months after he passed, because I was, uh, wow. I got so upset, very depressed, and I, and I, and I, <laughs> I didn't like feeling like that, but I didn't know how to not feel like that. So my wife told me, she said, you know, you, you've been talking before about doing a podcast. Why don't you just start it? And it'll give you something else to focus on. So I'm like, okay, mm. that's great advice. You know, I mean, that's why I married the woman. She's a lot smarter than me. So she put that idea out there and I just took it a step further and said, okay, if I'm going to podcast, I'm going to bring in guests who mm. inspire me because I need to be inspired. I'm depressed. Uh, I need to turn my attention in a different direction. So I need to bring in people who I'm interested in, people who inspire me, people who I can learn something from. And it all mm. started because of his, his passing and, when I think of when I think of Prince's passing, I can't help but think of my mm. son's passing. Wonder, Shit. you know, just wondering, wondering at what level, what did did uh. was there an addiction there, and if there was, what level, and how long did he struggle with it? Because again, my son, he was 24 when he passed. I think he started with his heroin when he was eight, 17 or 18. Okay, mm. so that's you know six, seven, maybe as many as eight years. Mm -hmm. uh, with a heroin problem. How long was Prince going around with an opiate problem? Mm. I, I don't know. I don't know. It's just... Uh, for, it's... For, for a while there, I was listening to uh, podcasts and looking at uh, different groups on, on Facebook who were very focused on trying to unravel the circumstances of Prince's death. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, people drop a few ideas out there and the idea of someone playing a dirty hand in his passing doesn't seem too far-fetched that's that's why i bring it up yeah i mean it doesn't seem too far-fetched it, it doesn't uh and i'm still thrown about just saying i apologize that's <laughs> no, that's, no uh, that's okay that's okay um yeah in terms of prince so i mean you know it's just a sad. It's very sad. Very sad I, I, I thought the man. I thought that say. man would live forever. And like yeah. I said, I've been following his music since the first album, and and I would talk about Prince at the drop of a hat and proclaim mm. my admiration. But it wasn't until he passed because that it it hurt me. And I've mm. you know I've, you know I've liked actors you know actresses other musicians who have passed and it's just been like oh well that's sad. But when he passed, it hurt. It, it, it. I mean, a, a part of my life was missing, yeah. because I got so much inspiration from the way he did things. I got so much inspiration from his music, his business sense, and mm -hmm. then all of a sudden, it's gone. Yeah, and you know, it's. Uh... I felt it. I, I, I felt. I felt a. I felt a loss that I never felt from another celebrity passing. It's the first time I, I ever because... felt that way. Yeah, I think because Prince was always there, man. Like, it was always something. He always gave us something. And you were so used to waiting for that new album or whatever it was. Through our whole life, it was... I remember, like, 
every relationship I've ever been in, there's always been a prince. He was always yeah. there. There's yeah. always something. He was, you know, just a soundtrack, a part of a soundtrack life. to life. Yeah. Yeah. It was just a thing like, and now it's gone. And yeah. it's like, man, sometimes did I really appreciate it in the moments. Um, was there other things going on? We just didn't recognize. And I think there'll be a point where, and it may be years from now, but I think the real story or more deeper look into Prince is going to happen. And I just pray when it does, we're able to not say accept it, but realize that he wasn't just here for our entertainment. Like (laughs) he was a person, he was a man like a lot of us. And we built this image of what we think he was like in our minds off of stuff. But I think when we start to see, when people start to talk about stuff, it'd be like, yeah, I get why you want to protect him. I want to protect him. But I also think it's even more important that other people down the line, the generations can learn of his fullness. Cause I look at Prince as much as I love him, you know, and he was so committed to his job and his work. I almost wish he had the same level of importance or commitment to his to his life, man, because he should still be here. You know what I mean? Like if he took, That's if he very took his well health said. and his life as important as he took getting in that studio and performing for us, I think he would be here. That and I think is that very well said. we'd be better for him because I want him to be alive whether more so than I would want him to get in front and dance for me. You know yeah. what I mean? Like yeah. yeah. So that's yeah. very well said. Very well said. Um and, and and just the last thing I'll just say that's sort of the as I look at Prince now that's what I learned from Prince. Not only do I learn the music and all that, but I learned that you can commit your life to doing your job or going to your job every day. You can commit our lives to going to your jobs for 15, 20 years. Yeah. But that's not, that don't do nothing for my kids. No. You know what I mean? Like they would rather me probably not have all this money or whatever you think I may have and be there for them when they become older and here come pops or I have my pops around or my mom around. Those are the things. So when I look at Prince now, I I realize the importance of, yeah, I can't get too caught up in doing my podcast and performing for everybody. My real job is the most important thing. And I got to do everything in my power to continue to be here as long as possible. You know, so hey, I, I, I talked about yeah. us coming back in 50 years and doing another podcast. Let's let's come back in you 50 years do and yeah. do another podcast episode. I want to still be alive and kicking. And and, Absolutely. and I, I feel I feel what you're saying. You know, my the, the well-being of my family, my wife and, and, and my kids. I have a daughter back in the States, two grandkids. That's oh, who I'm here. That's that. Those are the people I'm here for. You know, doing yeah. this podcast is fun. Uh, doing my music, uh, writing, writing. Uh, uh, stand-up comedy, these things I do for myself, it's fun, but my family is the number mm-hmm. one focus. And, and I have to say, I kind of felt that as well. Um, I don't think I could have put it as eloquently as you did, but but um, I also wish that Prince would have cared about his health, about himself, as much as he did for his art. Because, yeah, he, he would be here. He would still be yeah, here. Yeah, man. He still has a, he had a lot to teach us. Yeah. Just imagine a Prince at 80 or something, man. And oh. just the older he like, got, and this is the way it's supposed yeah. to be, but it doesn't, 
it's it's very rare that we can actually witness it in real life but the older prince got the wiser he got yeah i i I love going on youtube and finding clips of there's not a lot of them because he didn't do a lot of interviews but but the clips are out there on youtube and i just like hearing the the wisdom Mm -hmm. that he dropped the dude was smart the dude was smart and and yeah i i miss him i miss him yeah but let, let me ask you something you live in seattle right Yes, just outside of Seattle. Okay, over here in Norway, um, now, and I still have a lot of contact. In fact, most of my social media contact is with people back home in the states. So, not just here in Norway, but also in the states, everybody wants to talk about how Seattle is the example of left-leaning politics gone wrong. Really? Seattle, <laughs> Portland. Okay. Uh, yeah. Um, you know, you see something on the news, there's some kind of protest in the streets of Seattle and, and the reality of it is it's only maybe one city block, but they act like the whole city is up in flames. Can you as a Seattle resident, as a Northwest coast resident, tell mm-hmm. me the reality of the social political situation there? Now, this is a big right turn from talking about prints nah, and music no and whatnot, but I did want, I do want to ask you about this. Well, you know, as a lifelong Seattle resident, born and raised here, the Seattle of today is nothing like the Seattle that I grew up in love. Okay. And I say that in a sad way. Okay. Explain. Uh, Seattle wasn't really a big city back then. I mean, it didn't have, we didn't, we didn't experience a lot of the things that other parts of the country experienced. There wasn't that much crime you know, there's a very low black population. It probably still is. Um, I don't know. It's hard to explain. It just didn't have an influx of a lot of the things that you would see on the news. Uh, You're talking about like oh, crime statistics. Um, just, just the crime. And, and you yeah. could go anywhere you wanted to. There wasn't a lot of division per se. Now there might've been things I didn't see. Now, looking back at the history of Seattle now, yeah. It's always been on some racial type stuff. You know, my parents and grandparents, they was battling. You know, I come to find out my dad was in the Panthers and oh, uh, he, you know, there's a whole book of, uh, the name escapes me, there's a book of the guy who led the Panthers here. That was my dad's best friend. Wow. And he speaks to my dad throughout that book a lot and the stuff that they would be doing as kids and it blew my mind. So there's always been a, very racial sort of history here, yeah. but it, but like you said, it's very much a liberal thing. So a lot of that was hidden okay, or you just never really got to see that. Right. I think Seattle now, <laughs> um, it, it is, it's, it's a sad, let me I watch my words. Let me see. Like down, I'm going to take downtown Seattle for existence. Beautiful. Seattle, this whole area is beyond beautiful. You know, it doesn't that really it rain. Yeah. It doesn't rain like you think it does, but absolutely beautiful. There's water, the forests, mountains, you name it, good food, all that good stuff. But I think what has happened is because people want to sort of feel like they're fair um, and want to feel like there is none of these problems, uh. they allow everything to go on okay and so it has become a place where there is extreme homelessness really you know it's not it's not homelessness that's just hidden in the crevice it's like if you go downtown seattle 
they're camping out on the streets, okay. on the sidewalks, and there's some kind of law or rule that they cannot move those people. If you put your tent up, they can't move it. So you're literally <laughs> going to have tents on the sidewalk of what used to just normally be the great, you know, oh, let's go to the market. And That's amazing. Walk by the, now is, there are tents and that stuff. That is amazing. There are people doing hardcore drugs out there because again they felt like hey we don't want to persecute we don't want to lock everybody up for that or let's give them a safe place to shoot up at but by doing that okay when they shoot up and they're you know when they're not high anymore what are they trying to do they're trying to get high again so you've got zombies literally running around the streets in a place that you would have a lot of tourism and you would bring your kids and stuff you don't want to do that. You have these million dollar condos and all this, but at the bottom of it right. are tents and people blasted out of their minds. Wow. Um, so that's a big problem. That's a big <sighs> problem. You know, and then of course, you know, this is a land of opportunity here. Absolutely. A lot of jobs, a lot of money to be yeah. made here. You got some of the biggest companies in the world. That's here, right. right. That's right. It's a lot of millionaires just like normal cats that got millions of dollars. Right. Right. But so what, so what does that mean? So for all the people like myself who don't have all that, it's very expensive uh, to live here. So for me, that's what I say. I don't live in Seattle anymore. I live outside of Seattle. Seattle is extremely expensive to live. So it sounds like Seattle doesn't have much room for a middle-class person. It sounds like it's the millionaires living up on the in the penthouses, and then down on the streets, it's the homeless uh, drug addicts, and the middle class is kind of hitting the road for the suburbs. Yeah, the is that sound right? Way out in the suburbs, yeah. maybe, you know, driving in or coming in, those jobs, you know, if you have a family, you're not living in Seattle. You know, okay. you know I think the medium house price in Seattle may be five to six hundred thousand. Really, for just a regular house. Wow. <laughs> That's huh. the low ball, right? Right. Um, and so it's, and then of course, you know, with the the explosion of Amazon, you know, bringing a lot of very smart, intelligent people, and they pay those people a lot of good money. But what happens is they all come, and so the places where you could live in the city and stuff have now those rents have went because right. they're like, oh, okay. Uh, these people can pay $3,000 a month. That's chump change to them. Yeah. You know? Let's yeah. Hike up the, yeah, no problem. So all the everybody else has to move way out. There's just no room for the average middle-class person. You got to be upper middle-class uh, yeah. or, or upper class. It sounds yeah, like. Yeah. You got to live way out somewhere else. Yeah. So, you know, and then, and then when, you know, the George Floyd protests and things, you know, Seattle has always been a protest city. Yes, it has. That's why I couldn't wait to ask you because there's this image of a of a Seattle protest, and they make it sound like the entire city. Well, when I say they, I'm talking right wing media will make it sound like the entire city is in flames. (laughs) No, it's not in flames, but it is. Oh, you know what's the old? There was a there was a very uh, big protest that happened years ago. There was a movie that got made about it. Andre 2000 was in this movie. It was it was the W. Uh. Two or it was like a it was a big international conference thing. Oh, I yes, remember. I remember that movie. Um, 
the E3, not E3, but it was uh, something. Some, I remember, yeah, something like that, yeah. And I was, I was living in downtown Seattle when it happened, and I remember seeing, like, these little tanks going out. And I was like, what is going on? You know, <laughs> So, But I say that, say, it is always, it, they've always had, every year, they had May Day, forget yeah. about oh, it. Oh, yeah, yeah. They're going to act a fool. So when you put that, and then you put the George Floyd protests that are happening, they took that to the next level. How, how bad did it get in Seattle? Um, it's still bad. It, I mean, it got as bad as you, you heard about that whole little zone they took over. Yeah. Um, that was maybe a... How big of an area was I, that? I think it was maybe a couple of block round radius. It was in see, a very this, trendy area of yeah. Seattle that shocked me that that would allow <laughs> that to happen. But see, that's my point. It, 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 wasn't, it wasn't a widespread... It, it wasn't a big chunk of Seattle. No, that, that it was wasn't isolated a big to just a couple of blocks. It was isolated to, to a very expensive, trendy area. Um, but Seattle was not that big either. So it's not have a huge effect on Seattle. But I what see. happened is the downtown core of Seattle, where I actually worked there, it came there nightly. They would just okay. leave. But what happened was everything had to board up. And that was the whole tourism area. That was the downtown business area. That was where everyone worked area and shopped. So that was destroyed. Uh, to this day, it is still somewhat boarded up. And so wow. you had that plus the homelessness ramped up. Tourism was over because of COVID. Yeah. Uh, people were already like, don't go downtown no more anyway before all this happened. So that even just pushed that even further there was a couple of big shootings that happened downtown. Uh, one right in front of an Amazon building, big gun battle, people got killed, and it was broad daylight. So you had that, all of yeah. this stuff at the same time to the point now it's a ghost town. Businesses have closed. Everyone works from home. And it seems as if there's still not an end in sight because at the drop of a hat, there'll be another Something else will happen, and then they'll start marching it's, again. It's, it's still been having people. Uh, the place where I work at, I, I work by the convention center, and uh, there's a, a restaurant on the corner of where my shop is at, and they busted out his windows a couple of days ago just for no random reason. Wow. You know, and these are reals. You know, for this guy, it's five thousand dollars per window, and he's just he's not. You know, yeah, that's a hit. So. Um, well, just so so to say, is it bad here? Unfortunately, absolutely, and it's sad because there's so much money here. Yeah, they don't. It's still expensive. I don't think it has hurt like the housing market here at all. Um, it's not going to hurt Amazon. It's not oh. going to hurt Microsoft. It's, they're making more money than they ever had. I was just going to say it's it's a, it's <laughs> it fascinates me that the average person is doing worse than ever. Um, I, I can sit and crunch the numbers, but I can't recall what they are now. But there's some, something to the effect that an average worker today is making less, if you take in inflation and the mm -hmm. value of the currency, is making less than they were making in 1975. While companies companies like Amazon are, you know, they they almost doubled their wealth over the last two years. Yeah, and, and I'm gonna be clear here, just to be transparent, you know. I, I benefit from Amazon, so, you know, I'm not, you know, I don't, I, I just want to keep it a buck. Like, well, 
Yeah, well, I'll, I, I'll I, say I, this. I'll say this. You know, I'm I'm not a, I'm not a communist, <laughs> and I'm not and I'm not trying to hate on Amazon. Uh, if, if they can make their money, then I think that's great. They should make their money. But I put a question mark on their policy when I don't know how much this is Amazon. It's it's mostly places like Walmart's. Um, mm. where their employees can't make a living wage and they have to go, right. you know, they're still counting on, on some form of government assistance while they're working full time at that business. And I, I think that happens to a certain degree at Amazon and it definitely happens at places like Walmart. So that's where I put mm. a question mark on their business policies. I, I, I can understand that. I, you know, I'm not going to go into it, but I, yeah, uh, no. I, I used to work, I didn't work for Amazon. I, I was a vendor for Amazon. I worked in one of those warehouses right. you hear okay. about. And I was responsible for hiring the people who worked there yeah. and sometimes letting them go. And I was there for three years. And so I saw it from the ground level yeah. of the guys, in my opinion, who are the backbone of Amazon. Like when you order something, these it's regular people yeah. who are filling those orders and they're in there 10 plus hours. And, and in my 50 some odd years of work, some of the hardest work I've ever seen in my life is there. Like yeah. I couldn't believe it. Like I was like, God, are they being paid and, appropriately though? Are they being paid a proper wage? Well, that's a good question. Uh, y- you are paid your value and your pay, what you accept. See, it's a, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, do they get, so I, I, I will say this, they're getting paid. It's hard work. No question about it. Should they get paid more? Absolutely. Uh, but you're going to get paid what you allow yourself. You know, you sometimes you got to stand up and fight for what you want to get paid. That's true. You know, People have fallen into a certain lethargy, a certain complacency, and they kind of accept some of the very same things that they may be protesting against. At the same yeah. time as they're protesting, they are accepting it. And, I, and I've seen, you know, the other part of Amazon where, you know, when you go from beyond sort of the warehouse workers and you kind of go up the ladder yeah. a little bit. They're paying those people very well, yes. you know, and I, and those people are working just as it's hard. You know, their value is a, is a different, yeah. it's not a labor value. It's other things that they bring to the table. I've seen that. I've seen guys start at the warehouse level and go up yeah. to yeah. the corporate level. I've literally seen that. So, I mean, not to say it can't happen, but, you know, I've seen both sides of it, you know, for me. And then, yeah. you know, it got to the point where I was able to even be able to just sit and watch some of these meetings Okay. With these guys and really like just be a fly on the wall. And, and I understand why it is as successful as it is. Okay. I just think that the cities that they have Amazon in, I think it is up to these cities to put a certain expectation on these companies like Amazon to say, hey, you can come here and you're given jobs, but this is what we demand we want this to happen. And maybe, well, I don't know if that's a union type thing to, to be able to happen, but I think people should fight for these things. But it comes back to, uh, to happen. yeah, it comes back to what people accept. Yeah. Uh, and you can also put it on the, yeah, the, you know, local government, state government, and even the federal government, what they accept when it comes mm-hmm. to these tax breaks that Amazon gets. Right. Which that's right. a whole you know, other thing. And you want to talk about fairness and what's right and what's wrong. That mm-hmm. whole issue about uh, how much, taxes Amazon 
pays or doesn't pay. Oof. Yeah, I mean, that's, and, a, that's and, a heavy subject. Seattle has tried to push back at at Amazon about that, and Amazon was like, "Well, we don't have to be here." It's kind of show difference. Around. Yeah, because at the same time as you want Amazon to act right, you don't want them to leave because you pressure right. them too much. So I get that, and that's kind of yeah. happening a little bit here. Uh, you know, because and they can again. There's probably many a cities around the country that would love come on in, and you've seen you see a little bit of that. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's not just Amazon, but I think all of these types of companies just have to remember. Well, let me say this. Amazon and these companies get away with what they get away with because us, the people, continue to just pick our mouse up or our phone and are ordering away. And oh, we're helping to about, create a monster. We're helping yeah, to we're create not, a monster. We're not thinking about it. Some, it's a real person packing our product. Right. Right. And we don't care about that. We care about the best price and it's coming tomorrow. We don't care about the guys <laughs> driving that van no. or their their own car to deliver those products to us. It, we just ordered it this morning and it's here today. You don't even think about those are people doing yeah. that. You just think about the convenience and it's, it's low price. Well, and I think it's going to only be until the people realize that there are real people doing the job. So all the stuff that we want. That that things will change, and maybe we don't care about that. And you know, and I'll say this real quick: I say, I think in the next ten years, these companies will—they already see this—and they're working to eliminate that from the equation, so there won't be people doing that job anymore. I was anyway. just gonna say, you know, yeah. you're talking about the, de the the delivery drivers and the people in the warehouse, pretty soon mm -hmm. those are gonna be drones and robots. The the <laughs> the, the famous uh, drone footage from Amazon that was on 60 Minutes years ago. Yeah. I, I worked at that place. Oh, uh, did where you? They did that. Yeah, that, okay. that I, I worked at it. It was a test site. So all of those robots and shit that was that song from day one. That's why I was like, okay, it's I already know it's coming. what they're doing. Yeah, it's they coming. got some stuff. I was like, they got something for yes. <laughs> they, <do. laughs> they got something coming. And this is going to hit across every everything. You know, there are a number of Amazon, I call them Amazon Gold stores here. I don't know if you heard of these. Yeah. yeah. Where you just walk in, grab what you want off the shelf, and walk out. Yeah. You know, I remember the first one that started. Now there's probably three or four in the downtown area. And I can imagine they'll be able to take that when they fine tune they'll be that. They'll able to scale say, that up. Hey, Walmart, here's that and that. You don't need nobody in that store. People can walk in there and grab what they want and it's charged. They're going to be like, hey, uh, all of this Uber and all of this, the delivery driver, you know, what they call it, gig economy and all the truck drivers, that ain't going to last very long. They're going to automate them trucks and drive across the country. What do you think those people are going to do, the, those employees? What's, what's going to happen to them? Man, listen. <laughs> <laughs> I've been saying this for years, but it's going to get crazy. They, they're they're going to have some kind of... I think it's already getting crazy. We're seeing it. it. It's, people, it's getting are, crazy. people are getting scared. They're going to eliminate the warehouse job. They're going to eliminate a lot of these jobs. There's only going to be so many customer service jobs left, which I wouldn't be surprised if they come up with some kind of, uh, they're just going to send you a check every month, yeah. a, a living wage type of deal. The universal because, pay, yeah. Yeah, because the job's just not going to be there. They're going to have to. Well, here comes that uh, socialist welfare state that nobody wants to have in America. Yeah, well, <laughs> you, you got capitalism on one hand. 
and you got things being automated. But isn't it kind of ironic? Because mm -hmm. this automation is because of capitalistic uh, motivation, but it's right. going to force, it's, it's going to, you know, people are going to have to have a wage. People are going to have to able to survive you need money to survive retail is growing but the jobs in retail are going to disappear so that's going to yeah, bring yeah. about a massive massive um uh socialistic if you will shift. uh shift at the same time as and, capitalism grows and i think we're dealing and you you talk about the experiment of this area i think they're normalizing homelessness and normalizing like they just had a big thing on the news. They're taking these <laughs> hotels, hotels downtown now, and they're just giving them to the homeless people. You can live in there, free food, free room on board. You have a hotel room, so you're basically eliminating. I you think don't it's have, gonna, they don't have a job. They yeah. don't have any money, but give you a place to live and here's some food. And you're in the richest, one of the richest cities in in America. They're paving <laughs> and you the have way. People homeless on the streets they're and they're paving the way towards a universal wage they're paving the way towards an even larger welfare state and i i don't know i, I live here in norway and it's totally different mm. um this thing that we have in america a lot that a lot of people have in america where they think we're the best our model is the way to live everyone should be doing it our way uh be quiet you socialist countries well First of all, like Norway, for example, is a social democracy or democratic mm. socialism is what they use. And basically all that means is that we care about each other and nobody's going to be left by the wayside. That's basically all it means. And I, I'm, I'm thinking that if you look at it on a household level, don't you want your entire family to be healthy and strong? Don't you want the weakest in your family to be as strong as possible? And you do everything you can to make sure that that happens. So... If we think that way on a household level, why can't we expand that to a national level? And when mm -hmm. I say we, even though I'm sitting here in Norway, I'm talking about the United States, my country. Mm -hmm. I, I, I don't know. I think people are going to patriate themselves to death. That's the term I use. You're going to patriate <laughs> yourself to death. This, 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 this idea that America is superior. America is superior in many ways, but America could also open her eyes and learn a little bit from other countries because America sure. does not do everything in the best possible way. Why is it right. that when my kids are born here in Norway, I can have up to, what was that, nine months away from my job, uh, and my job is there when I'm done after those nine months, and I'm getting paid 85% of my wage while I'm gone. Shit. Why is that? It's because they care about the family unit. And we pay taxes for that here so that those kind of things can be done. We mm -hmm. pay taxes for it, but it's not, it's not like that money is just disappearing in the, into thin air because I get that money back when I have kids. I get that money back when <clears throat> I need medical services. So it's little things like that that if, if the American people were willing to bend a little bit and, and open their eyes and see how other countries do things, America would be a better place. And Seattle <laughs> would be a better place. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree with everything you said. You know, as as crazy as, you know, sort of make Seattle come out to be, you know, again, I still have that same sort of, you know, Prince mentality yeah. and just the mentality that we've always kind of had in the neighborhood. I'm not losing. You know, right. I'm not, no matter what they got going on, I'm going to go out there and, and do, you know, I'm, I'm going to be working. 
you know, I'm going to figure it out. So I, I don't, even with all of that, I don't, I never feel like, oh, no, we're not going to make it or it's doomed or something. I'm like, oh, cool. Um, it's always been tough. So I, what, you just know, find I, a new look, way. For me, I, I, I always do like Bruce Willis when he's in uh, uh, Die Hard. Welcome to the party, pal. Like, <laughs> hey, we've been struggling since day one. I, oh, oh, well, <laughs> we always, we always make it, make it. We always make it. We always it's, do stick together. I just think, you know, it's hitting more people. Things are changing, but you know, society has always changed. That's I'm not, very I, true. I'm not a, I don't look at things in a doom kind of way. I try yeah. to stay optimistic, but you know, it's just like, you can see what's thing, how things are changing. I'm always like, to me, my whole thing is like, listen, man, uh, I always say this in a joking matter. Google is free. Uh, Google Docs is free to everybody. So the, the computer is free to me. When they started the internet, I was like, oh, okay, they should have never had let me get a hold of this because now I'm about to eat. Like, I don't have to, there's no gatekeeper. Cool. I've been waiting for this. You know, are you kidding me? So to me, I don't see the computers and all this as just to be on here chatting and and, and looking. I, look, I see, I see money. Creation tool. I yeah, see so. money. I see creation. Yeah. I see freedom. I see contact exactly. and connection. Yeah, absolutely. It's not so fun. And me, I don't, I don't look at the internet as fun and games at all. Yeah. I'm not a, as much as I like to intake, I'm, I'm trying to push out to, to grow. So to me, the, it, the, the game's wide open. This is why I tell my son and it's a man, are you kidding? Like if I had access to all of this stuff, this is great. Yeah. Like let's get busy. You yeah. only, you'll be as successful as you want to be. How, how old is your son? He is 13. 13, yeah. I have a 13-year-old son and a 15-year-old daughter. And then okay. I have my, da my daughter with her kids in the, in the, in the States. Awesome. So yeah, the, the, the kids here are right at that age where, yeah, I start to tell them, you know, these kind mm -hmm. of things about opportunity, about making your own way. Um, yeah. Hey, you know, you can have your little fun on TikTok, but you ever think about trying to monetize that? You see there what I'm saying? Yeah. Those kind yeah. of things. They're they're right at that age, especially my daughter, to where they can I can start having those conversations with them. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, I have uh, my oldest is 18, and she just getting ready to graduate. Uh, she's uh, got accepted to college, uh, so she's like, you know, nice. taking it to a whole other level. Nice. And my youngest is five, a uh, little girl, and I always try to show them that. You can you can have a job, but you can also create your own opportunities too. You know, when I long time ago, my oldest, when I was doing my duplication business, I would just have her stay with me. Okay. You know, I'd bring it to the office and as a young age. So she just saw that was, you know, she saw, okay, daddy, he got his own business and he's doing his thing. And we in here working together. This is a this is another opportunity you could do. You yeah. don't have to do this, but it just goes to show that. There's all many different things you can do. They well, saw you're leading by example. Means. You're leading by example, as, as a father should. Yeah. I try to. Yeah. I try to. And, and I'm not perfect, let me be fair. Oh, no, no, we, uh, <laughs> we are so flawed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, uh, but yeah, man, I mean, Seattle is, I would say come to Seattle is a very beautiful place. It is, it sure is. Um, definitely nice. Um, you know, I guess like any other city, it has its issues. Uh yeah. But if you're a young person and you got some skills, I mean, you can come out here and, and 
some kind of tech stuff technology or? tech degree computer tech science. or just um there's so many different it's not it's tech but you know tech bleeds into anything yeah so you could really come out here and and get down if you highly motivated yeah you know yeah. that's my whole thing like so that's how i've been able to speaking of motivation, i never went to college speaking didn't go to school oh you didn't, you didn't I, no college not at no. all i went to college of Barnes and Nobles. That's what I tell <laughs> There you go. There you go. I would get the books. I take them home. Oh, okay. HTML? Got it. <laughs> or you know, video? Got it. Photoshop? Got it. You know. But I, I feel you I, on that. That's what I tell people. I'm going to have to manage with the brain power that I have now because I ain't going back to school. So it's all right. about reading. It's all about self-education, you know. And, and again, going back to the internet. The, the possibilities yeah. for self-education are endless. Man, you know? I always say this. We was blessed the day we was born. We got Amen. Amen. Yes. <laughs> God gave us this <laughs> incredible brain. Now, Amen. what you choose to do with this? That's another story. Yeah. But this bad boy is a cold piece of machinery. Like, you can come up with some of the most incredible stuff in oh, the world. You're speaking the truth. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So that's why I'm like, Psh. I, okay, cool. And I enjoy the journey. I enjoy learning. I, you know, doing this podcast, talking to different people. I got a crazy variety of guests. No one guest is the same as the previous. And it's all <laughs> about sucking in that knowledge, learning, learning, learning. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, man. Yeah. yeah, that's, yeah, we can, we can accomplish so many things. And, uh, What's coming for you? What's coming for you? What do you what do you, what are your plans? What what is a what is a project or a goal that you have that you're currently working on? Where where are you headed? Um, tell, tell the people where Michael Dean is going. Yeah, well, one of the things I'm I've been working on for a long time. I mentioned the book thing. To me, that's a it's a passion thing, but I feel like it's it's just one of those things. I think I've been working my whole life to to put the message of what I'm trying to convey with that. Uh, that's a big thing. You know, I spent a lot of my years of life chasing, doing music and stuff um, and doing that and then getting into podcasting. Um, I really, really understand now the power behind just podcasting or doing what we're doing in terms of getting out the ideas. You know, I really want to inspire people that they can do whatever it is that they want to do, you know, and so I always try to, talk to different people. I think um, storytelling is a very powerful medium in general. It is. And, uh, so to me, it was like, okay. And you know, I got that from, I used to work um, when I was doing my duplication, I, used, I did a whole series of albums for uh, different tribes, Native American tribes. Wow. And it basically was, you know, I got, I met this one guy, he had this company and all he does is spotlight Native American art. Um, but then we got the idea to meet with different elders and have them tell the stories. I mean, that's how they do with their culture in general, how they tell the history is through the spoken word. Yes. But I invite, you know, so we would do recording sessions in my house and we would bring these elders in. I would just, you know, I'm doing the engineer work, but I'm yeah. sitting there listening. Listening and learning. To yeah. them and I'm learning. I'm like, wow, okay, this is incredible. Storytelling, you know, this is a since the beginning of time, you know. Wow, what a great experience uh, that must have been. Yeah, man. I mean, got to the point, and that's how I learned a lot of stuff because it was opportunities. So I was like, okay, I need to learn how to do Photoshop and some of this <laughs> yeah. stuff. So I learned that. Then it was like, oh, we're going to do a DVD. 
I was like, okay, I got to learn not only how to film it, but I'm going to edit it <laughs> off of the DVD. And Are you like me? You'll take a job like that and you don't really know how to do it, but you figure it out by the time you got to start yeah. Uh, doing Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> we think a lot alike. We think a lot so, alike. <laughs> learned a lot of that type of stuff. And then, like I said, just the power of storytelling. Yeah. The podcast is storytelling. That's all you it know, is. Yeah. Getting people to talk about their life and, you know, what can we learn from their experiences? And so for me, the book is sort of the, I don't know if it's the end game of that, but I feel it's like, um, I feel like, you know, it's the same way. I, I take it back to Star Wars. Like you can look at Star Wars and that it's just a space adventure, or you can look at it and it's like, man, there's some themes in this that just work for humanity yeah. at all times. Yes. And I want to, I want to be able to have something like that where, if you read it on its surface, yeah, it's just some, it's a yeah, fun yeah. thing. But if you really look at it, it's like, wow, okay. It's a, it's a bigger thing. I have a good reference to, to what you just said there about getting into the depth of things. Um, have you, you've seen the movie Jungle Fever probably. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Now, yeah. at the end of that movie, um, the prostitute comes up to him, says she'll do this, that, and the other for $2. He hugs her. And then screams, no, right? Mm -hmm. And then the movie fades out. Well, my son was sitting there with the remote control. And he jumped up right away to go take the remote control and turn it off. Now, I know, because I've seen the movie a ton, a ton of times, I know that, uh, first of all, that movie moves me in a, in a lot of different ways. There's a lot of little, I think Spike Lee is a genius. Oh, Spike is. Uh, yes. And that movie really moves me. It's funny, and it also, but it also moves me deeply. Mm -hmm. And uh, and also, I get a lot of opportunities to make fun of my blonde-haired, blue-eyed Norwegian wife during that movie. <laughs> so, <laughs> but but the movie moves me, and I'll remember from watching it so many times. I know that at the end, when the credits are rolling, mm -hmm. Stevie Wonder is singing that beautiful song with those beautiful lyrics, Which telling song a message. Is um, so it, now, it's now not you, three, three words, is it? No. Um, uh, I remember I have the soundtrack. Why am I drawing a blank now? Um, ch just check out the soundtrack. It's a, it's a close, okay. it's a song that goes over the closing credits. And, and I'm, and so, and I, and I, I'd say to my son, don't turn that off yet. Didn't mm -hmm. this movie do anything to you? Look, there's, it's still, look at the, listen to this song and watch these mm -hmm. words. And then he was like, oh, okay. And, and my daughter, same thing, because she had picked up her cell phone and was getting ready to start texting right away. Mm. She's like, oh, okay. And then they see there's more to, you know, take a deep yeah. breath and, and catch the depth of this piece of art. Mm -hmm. That's funny you mentioned that because I was, uh, yesterday I was leaving my apartment and in the lobby they play like, they have music playing. And yesterday when I was walking out, they were playing Stevie Wonder, these three words from yeah. Yeah. Uh, See now I'm gonna I'm gonna look it up. I'm gonna Google it right now. I cannot believe I don't <laughs> I remember the that. name of that song. You like me? I can't let it go. He's like, I oh man, let's see Stevie Wonder. Yeah, Spike is. Oh man, I just uh, I just bought the 4K of Do the Right Thing last month, and uh, that movie is in. I mean, we I remember watched, it was incredible back then, but watching it now, where you can it's in pristine made me cry, man. I just was like, ugh. Feeding Off the Love of the Land, of course. Feeding Off the Love I of the Land is the name it. of that song. Uh, anybody okay. listening, just go in and I, I want people to take, turn off the lights, put on a set of headphones, be quiet, 
and just listen to that song. Stevie Wonder, Feeding Off the Love of the Land. Okay, Beautiful song, okay. and it just fits at the closing of uh, of that movie. But yeah, and uh, so we're kind of on a Spike Lee run right now. Yeah, um, the week before, um, yeah, last Friday, we watched Jungle Fever. Okay. And I'm making a very conscious, I mean, I've always done this, but especially now I'm making a conscious effort effort to teach my two kids here as much as I can about all things black American. Okay. <clears throat> because I feel that it's important that they get as much of that part of their background and heritage as they can, because who else mm-hmm. are they going to learn that from over mm-hmm. here in Norway? They're only going to learn it from me and they're going to learn what their teachers at school try to teach them. But what do they know? You say the same thing about America, but go ahead. Yeah, well, okay, but especially, and no offense, Norwegians, but especially here in Norway, what do they know, mm-hmm. you know? Right. So, um, I don't know, that, that's something, and I've said this before to people, that since I've lived here, I've been here in Norway for 19 years, it'll be 19 years in June, and uh, I, it seems like the longer I'm here, the more I'm aware of my blackness. Hmm. How so? It's this strange feeling of this strange feeling that I should be doing something when I see um, the racial unrest over the mm. last decade. Um, when I see the level of contention between the black American citizenry and police. And I want to get involved and I want to do something. I want to say something. I want to affect. Mm-hmm. And and it's just, it's a strange feeling of helplessness being removed from all of that by distance because I live here. I got you. Yeah. You know, it's just, I, I, it's I, a strange I, feeling. It really yeah, is. I, I just, I, I guess I feel like we have to try to embrace, it doesn't sound corny. We have to try and embrace humanity. Like, I just don't think. But that's not corny because easy. isn't that really all it takes? That is really all it takes. I just think we don't it's, see each other as real people at times. You know, we, it's easy to put this person in that box yeah. and this, or you're a black, you're a white, right, this, or right. Asian, whatever. But we are humans, man. Like, yes. And I'm not trying to blow my book up. But I'm going to mention <laughs> the theme of this book, though, is really I take away the black, white, whatever nationality, and we're just human beings on planet Earth. And I always felt like if there was a movie or something that dealt with, what if them aliens came to Earth, snatched up some humans, and took them to their other planet and and made them as slaves? If we watched a movie like that, off the top, we're going to root for the humans. We want the humans to be free. We see them as our own people, right? And I feel like it's... and my thing is, well, I mean, that's kind of like with Africa and some slaves and stuff, but we put all of these categories There's too many labels. It. Yeah, there's too so many categories and too many labels. Yeah. Yeah, but it, but if it was just some aliens versus humans, you'd be like, yeah, we're on the same team, man. Right is right. Free those people. And my thing is the show and the book is like, well, that happens. But what if there were humans who went to that alien planet and when they got there, the humans looked at those humans from earth, like how come you're not praising, you know, 
this religion that these aliens set up for us, how come you don't want to look like the aliens? And you would be like, are you crazy? Like we're humans. Right. Exactly. <laughs> we got to defeat the bad guy. <laughs> but, but, you know, but again, it's, I, th- I really think it is that simple. If we can just see the humanity in each other. Right. And, and this also goes, uh, this goes both ways. I can't look at all police officers and put them all in the same box. Right. You know, I see what the Chauvin guy allegedly did in, in Minnesota, and that's him. He's the one mm-hmm. who made that mistake. He's the one that played a hand, allegedly, I have to say that, uh, in, in, the, in the death of, of George Floyd. Um, I can't say that all police officers are bad because they're not. I know that for a fact. Right. And no, then in the same it, breath, the, in, in, in the same breath, people also have to recognize the humanity of black people. Because I will say this, <clears throat> that there are way too many police, here's how I'll say it, there are way too many police officers who have way too little uh, recognition of the humanity for black people. That's the problem right, right there. And again, that's not all police, but way too many of them have too little uh, recognition for the humanity of black people. And that's why we are where we are today. I, I would say, particularly in, in America, there are way too many people, period, who fall into that, whether they're black people or whoever else. Because I do think that all people have been influenced by stereotypes and just the constant pushing of imagery and media that it has affected everybody. It's not only just affected the police officers, but it's also affected the victims of the police officers and it's affected the people who are on the sidelines. They all don't see the humanity of black people. There's a lot of black people that don't see the humanity of black people. And I understand. Look at all the shootings in Chicago. Look at all the shootings in Chicago. That right there tells us that black people also have to take care of their business when it comes to recognizing their own humanity. Right. And we're all have been influenced. I just think that's the honest thing we sometimes need to get with. Like, listen, we are all the victims of this sickness or this, you know, (laughs) this sort of mind uh, thought that certain people don't have the same humanity as others. And that's the problem to me. Like when we can admit to that and start to work toward that, then we can get through because again, it's not just the police. It's the people that are not the police, but they have that sub, either subconscious or conscious. They have that fear as well. They're shit. I'm a black man. And I've had times in my life where I, I don't want to walk on that side of the street. I see those young brothers over there and I got a question. Well, where do I get that from? You know, why do I think that well, I'm, I'm just as influenced by the foolishness I see on the media as everybody else. So it's a sickness of I, I grew up, pushing that. like I told you earlier, I grew up way out in the country, so I've never walked down the street and seen a bunch of black brothers <laughs> before. So I can't, right. I can't identify with that. No, I, I, do, I do know what you're saying. We all have way too much fear in our hearts. That's what yeah, it is. And, and, too why, much fear. and where does it come from? Where, where does what it is come that, from? Where does that thought come we, from? That we, are, are we consuming like that? too much uh, social media? Should we? Should uh, should people turn away from Facebook and Instagram and Twitter? Well, this existed before any of those things came into play. But right? I'm, that, I'm saying maybe it's gotten worse since since uh, since the prevalence of social media has become what sure. it is. It's I believe it's gotten worse. I will say that. It has definitely put the trauma of these events on Front Street. 
Yes. It is not just it is not just all oh, those black people just keep saying this thing happened. That didn't really happen. Well, now they see actually, it. now you get to see it actually it did now happen. They see all it. Those, and that's a good the thing. shootings that the shootings we see today, they've always been happening. Sure. It's just that we never yeah. had receipts. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I don't think there's more um police killing unarmed citizens now than there were 15, right. 20, 30 years ago. I think we just see it more. So we we, we agree it, on yeah. that. But there is something with social media that then, okay, we see these things happening and then social media does something to us to where we start arguing where there shouldn't be an argument about these issues. Uh, I, I would question to say if it's not an argument. I, I think that before we just never, without the lack of information, you had no reason to ask a question. That's true. Because you didn't, you didn't know it existed. That's true. That's I don't true. think you shouldn't ask a question. So <laughs> to me, it's like, well, you're seeing a little bit more truths than we're used to seeing. I think too, it's a byproduct of you have a generation who knows the time before that. And there's a generation who was born into it. You know, I think maybe 20 years from now, the generation who was fascinated by social media, which I think I had a generation of will not exist anymore. That's true. And kids are just, what's the big deal? Social media was here the day I was born. Right. Totally what's different perspective. Yeah. There's a reason why cell phones, sell crazily this is most people who are not alive when these existed this is fascinating to me like if you gave me this as a kid you know like are you crazy what is it it doesn't video but there's going to be a generation where this has been here from the day they was born and it's not going to seem like it, it won't be as fascinating like right. color tv was fascinating to people when that came out. When yeah. TV came yeah. out, that was fascinating. Like, yeah. I can watch this at home. Oh, the influx of info, you know. Uh, right. But then right. I was born with TV on. So yeah, you know. Yeah, I've always watched TV. How, how, often, how often do you buy a new cell phone? How long uh, will you hold on to that before you sure. buy Sure. So the one I had before this, I had it for over a year. I'm not the top of the line. I didn't used oh. to be the, I got to have the new. But when I realized what I could do, again, for me, Oh, you mean I can do video? <laughs> yeah, I gotta have right, that. Why would I right. not have that? But uh, I, you know, I guess I've always had cell phones. I remember I had a pocket PC back in the day, oh, which was man. very yeah. early version of the cell phone of today. So I guess I've always had tech stuff uh, to some degree. I just found I, again they were fascinating to me because of what you could do with them. And yeah. I remember a time when I. You couldn't do that. Like it, you had to buy a whole bunch of stuff yeah, to be know. able to do video and you had to have a mixer and you had to have this. And well, now I look at how my, have one thing. I look at how my thoughts around the cell phone have changed. When I got my first one, I want to say it was in late 2001 and I had it, I needed to get it for my job. I had to get it. They told me okay. I had to have it and I hated it. <laughs> I hated carrying that thing around. Um, it was just, a, it was a pain in the ass. And then here I am today. Now I'm not the kind of person who every time a new iPhone comes out, I have to buy a new one. I, you know, I have right. this one that I bought about a year ago, roughly, and I'll keep it until it doesn't work anymore, and then I'll buy okay. a new one. But <laughs> I do feel naked and lost if I don't have this. If I leave the house without it, yeah, I feel that little panic, that little flutter in my chest. You know, oh my mm -hmm. God, I lost my, mm -hmm. I didn't, I don't have my phone with me. Uh, or a couple yeah, times, a couple times when I misplace it, I'll go crazy trying to find it. <laughs> so I went from this guy who hated having to carry that thing around in 2001 
to where I, I can't go anywhere without this. Essential. Yeah. I, I, it's hard for me to think like, how would we, like all the stuff that I do now, I'm like, God, I, I, I can't pull up an address to some place. Yeah. I can't get directions. I don't remember phone numbers anymore. I used to remember yeah. everybody's phone number. I right. think I have, I remember my phone number. I remember my wife's phone number and my, one of my best friends that I collaborate with music on. I remember his phone number. That's it. Mm -hmm. I don't remember any other phone numbers. I think it was because now your brain understands there's no need for me well, to retain got this. Yeah, my, 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 I, gotta, yeah. I can do something yeah. else. Yeah. You, you know, yeah. I mean, we adapt. I think sure, I say people, sure. We're going to adapt. And I can only imagine in 20 years, we'll look back at these phones. And 50 like, years. 50 years. We're going to do another podcast episode. Remember? Well, I'm just saying in terms of technology, <laughs> we'll look back at this and be like, man, those phones that we had in 2020 or 2021. Yeah. yeah. They weren't nothing compared to what <laughs> you're able to do, even if they even have phones at that point. Yeah, Maybe it's might be some, implants or yeah, something. Yeah, <laughs> you never yeah. know. But, yeah, I mean. It's, no, we'll, uh, we'll talk about it in our podcast in 50 years. Talk about yeah, what, we'll, we'll probably we'll, be blown away by the changes. Talk about what do people think of Michael Jackson and Prince and what do they think of uh, it, cell yeah. phones in 2021? <laughs> well, I was talking to my son, and he was like, oh, they'll probably be flying cars and stuff. And I said, no, there won't. Cause I was like, if you go back and look at the, when I was a kid, what we thought we were going to be doing in 2021, we're not, we're not there at all. We're not there, and, no. and the things that we thought are super impractical and would make no sense. I was like, the innovations that will come are things that you're probably not even thinking about. And they won't be, I mean, I said, it's impractical to have cars flying because then everyone has to have. Yeah. Yeah. You know, flying lessons and that would make no sense but i said what you probably will have is no one will have a car yeah <laughs> like you'll be penalized to drive probably because like, i'm like if you think about it rationally a computer and wow. an ai program is going to be way better driver than a person because it's totally predictable versus having some nut behind the wheel well they're, they're, know, working, on or, they're working on well, that technology they're working on that technology already so it, it's exactly. i bet you it's right around the corner yeah yeah, so it's like it's going to be things like that that we will see. The automation will probably be out of control. Well, not, not necessarily in a bad way, but well, that will be the things that we're probably not thinking about. Right. That right. every you know, you, twenty years you'll walk into a gro twenty years you'll probably be like, remember you used to go to the grocery store? You're like, what is that? Yeah, what is that? What's a grocery store? I mean, you used to go to the store and you get a cart and you would put the stuff in the cart and then you get in line and wait in line and pay for everything. I can imagine that would be totally eliminated yeah. where everything would just, you'd order it and your groceries are delivered to your door. Like, why yeah. would you waste time going yeah. to the grocery store? I, I see stuff like that. Happening. See, and then it's yeah. also different from country to country. You know, I'm, I'm born and raised in, in, uh, in Ohio. Uh, mm -hmm. except for my military service, I've always lived in the States until I met my wife, married, and moved here. And we'll sit and we'll compare, and she's she's only a couple months younger than me, so we're the same age, and yet some of the references I have are totally unknown to her. Mm -hmm. uh, something as simple as, uh, um, you know, as a song might come on the radio, and I'll be like, oh yeah, you know, remember that video when it came out? And she's like, Mm -hmm. But we didn't, she didn't get, they didn't see MTV right. here for like the first 10 years at MTV. They just didn't mm -hmm. have it. Mm -hmm. So, so the, the cultural, the cultural references, um, you know, what, what, what might be a good cell phone uh, in the States, maybe a piece of junk over here. 
because the technology right. is also different from country to country. Right. So social references. To, yeah, and mm -hmm. Japan or Asia in general, China. Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, well, you know, we joked about it earlier, but I, I could see how we were talking about music people and and they, they kind of start to have this stuff now. There is a semi-popular uh, AI rapper. Oh, uh, really? There, there are AI music stars. And I think that's only going to get bigger. And I would not be surprised if 20 Where years Where have I were, been? I haven't heard anything about that. I heard of this a couple weeks ago. He he almost looks like a knockoff of uh, Takashi 69 if you're familiar with yeah. that. Huh? he looks like he kind of looks like a little bit like that but he's literally not a real person and he's got a, i hope he looks better than takashi's he looks that very weird <laughs> but he's, he's got an online presence really? he's got a lot of followers and this wow. is something that we've seen in japan different cultures where they have the there's a certain term that they call for it where they've already had this for a long time but i think it's getting to the, the technology now is you're starting to see these artists you see Jai artists doing interviews okay. and, and they're really like, seem like real people. Wow. And I'm like, that's to me is probably going to be the next thing because again, they are predictable. They are controllable. Why would you have an artist who may get big and may get powerful and rich and get yeah. some control and you have no control over right. him? You could say and do anything. Why not get somebody that'll work all the time? And you can guide the narrative of that artist. And he was never going to say anything that would disrupt his corporate opportunities, finance opportunities. And it would work, you know, if, if they can and get the it. Technology, it the technology with CG and all that stuff, you can have a concert. It doesn't have to just be a, a video thing. You could actually fill up a stadium. You could have something there for people to look at. Around the world at, at the same time, right? Is it, you, oh, he's got a concert in Chicago and one in China at the same night. At CGI, you should, he can be. You should write he's a book. Own, he's a workhorse. You should write a book he's, about that. <laughs> well, yeah. but I'm saying they. But they're close doing that. To doing yeah. that. Yeah. Wow. That's, Which begs the question: When you get to the point where you start to accept that, you know, how far do you think we'd push that? When, <sighs> would we ever accept? Could be seventy years down the line when there's a company that has the financial power of a Google, Amazon combined, and they've huh. built up a person that could run for a particular office or something. And people believe oh. that person. And we've had many years to accept that we accept pop culture people that are not real people. And we accept it. I could see the human brand. We, we as a people could accept a not real person who has our ideals that we want to support. Well, there's and the key. We push them to. There's the key. That, if it lines up with your own thought process, your own beliefs, your own ideals, yeah. I do believe people could accept that. But then Absolutely. what about the other side, the other political party who doesn't agree with that thing? They're going to play they on theirs. Well, yeah, they could just have theirs. <laughs> <laughs> it could come down. Again, it all come down to money and power. So whoever dominates the landscape of media or, or information, they could push whatever the hell they want. I mean, again, it could take many years, but it gets to the point where you accept that as a reality. Well, that may not you be know? so far out in the future. Imagine a Donald Trump type of a person who was fine tuned and didn't have the bluntness and the ridiculousness of a Howard, I mean, Howard, 
of a Donald Trump, but had the core values that are shared with that type of thought, but it was smoothed out and it was a control and it was, and it had smart people behind it psychologically who knew what you would respond to and how you would take this message. Maybe they won't take it from this real person because he has flaws and he could be exposed down the line for some shit he did, but this AI person doesn't have the background and doesn't have right. sex tape or nothing. Right. So he can put, he'll, they accept that, you know, there won't be any, there'll be no more me too's you eliminate all of that. Cause not a real person. So they can never be exposed. Then I can see that. Yo, they'll, they'll accept that. And we don't never have to worry about him getting canceled because he's, you know what? he's uncancelable. That may not be oh, oh. <laughs> another Donald Trump or two. And we might be uh, actually <laughs> getting everybody behind uh, behind that idea. I mean, there's so many people that go along with those, his thought, his, you know, the core stuff of what he's talking about without the foolishness. Yeah. Yeah. They would accept it if it was, <clears throat> if they had a better pitch person on it. Was there anything about Donald Trump that you found appealing? Anything at all? <laughs> well, uh, well, I, I would say, let's see, yeah, how do you answer a question like that? Because, you know, eh, Listen, I'm a terrible <laughs> rock pod- with Donald. I'm a, I'm a terrible yeah, podcast host. <laughs> no, you, you're doing some set of questions. I like. It. I see what you're doing. I don't support or ride with Donald Trump at all. But I will point to you. Ten years ago, or probably less, most there was a, a lot of people who did. You know what did Donald Trump Trump mean to let's just say the hip hop culture? Ten, twenty years ago. It was a totally different thing. Shit, Prince had a song called Donald Trump, and he wasn't using him in a negative connotation. He was using it as you would aspire to the riches of a most successful man. Baby girl, I'm the Donald Trump black version. Yeah. You know, so yeah. we understand what he meant to people back then. Sure. Uh, I think I think he is the living embodiment of what I just said. Yeah. He was the core values of what he was, and then he became this reality yeah. crazy type thing. But he was able to do that because people loved him before. But then when he started to, well, I'm going to, I'm going to take this and run with this platform talking points. Then you realize, whoa. Do you think he meant all the bullshit he came with during his presidency? Do you think he meant that? Or do you think he was just saying these things because he knew it was popular and he thought it would keep him in power? I believe all politicians do that. Do you believe that he did it so, up to a higher degree than most politicians? In no. other words, are you are you saying you don't think he believed any of the stuff he said? You think he was all think, part of his act what? to stay in power? I think he did what all politicians do. Okay. At the core of what he did, he did, in my opinion, what most politicians I'm going to tell these people what I think is going to make me win. So I, most of them, even as people I would support, I don't know if they really believe <laughs> have in their heart what See, they're saying, but they know that to say that they can get a group of people to vote for them. Yes. That's, that's what they do. And that's why as good of a figure for America that I think Barack Obama was, I didn't put him up on this pedestal and on this altar because in the end <laughs> he was a politician and I just couldn't get down with him like that. I, again, I think he did... I think there he did a go. <laughs> I think he did a good job. I think he meant well. I think he did as good as he could with the cards he was dealt. But in the end he's 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 
He's another politician. He's another politician. I, and I salute Barack Obama. I salute his sure, family. Absolutely. I, I'm going to side with just the imagery. And yes. I, if I would know them, even if I didn't necessarily believe everything they said, I would vote for him and cheer Absolutely. it anyway. Because I think, I think psychologically what he meant was more important. Sure. At least sure. to me. And sure, people. to me too. So, yes. I'm I'm all with it, but yes. like, but yeah, I mean, he is he's got to play the game just like everybody yeah. else. Yeah. He's not going to come in here and this America. Yeah. So he ain't gonna come in here <laughs> and just change the game unless he really wanted to yeah. have the smoke. And I don't fault him for not because that's a that's a hard position. Well, well, having the GOP having the GOP go so hard into opposition as they did with him, that's why I say I think he did the best he could with the cards right. he was dealt, and. The results of what he did, I think, was a good thing for America. I believe that. Absolutely, yeah, I, I, do. I do too. I think it, it was one of those things that it was a like I say with uh, Star Wars and certain. It was a it that that turned the light on to somebody. They saw that. Oh, yeah. I can get to that level. It's a reality. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So it opens the door for the next Obama. It's going to be on even. A, <clears throat> doper level or it's going to be a, a, a lady or somebody else could it be it just opens the door could it be kamala harris could she be because, the next big barack obama-ish thing with the right <coughs> machine behind it absolutely again i feel like they can build up anybody they want they, they most they, certainly if can they, if they give it the whole package and say hey we got such and such is behind you we got this thing lined yeah. up we're going to the moon yeah they yeah. can make anybody they can. if they can make donald trump be that? I was just going to say, can make anybody. <laughs> if he can be as popular as he was and is, then anybody can 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 do something similar. Anybody. Yeah, you can take a clown from, from reality TV. Because personally, yeah, the- I don't see what was likable about, about that man in, in the slightest bit. Morally, politically, uh, uh, I, I, I don't see it. But there must have been some, wi- I don't, I shouldn't say must have well, been, there is some wisdom and some brain power in that man and what he did. He was able to capitalize on oh, that thing that allowed him, no, he, able, he was able to capitalize on that thing in America that he appealed to, that thing, yeah. whatever you want to call that. that it just goes to, to show the, the influence of media, man. Like, again, you can accept anything if they position it right. They can take they can push whatever they want. And that, that was a power to show how people were influenced by, they saw him on the apprentice. There was a certain amount of people that was, Oh, he's been running businesses on TV. He's must be smart. And then there was sort of the racist people that, Oh, he's sort of dog whistling. You know, they know exactly what they were doing, but that's why I said the media influences people. I don't, people don't like to hear that. I don't know why, but it does, man. For good or for bad, but it does. speaking of influence, how would you categorize your podcast? Entertainment, education, comedy, uh, informational, conversational. Um, I, I would categorize it as it's either me and somebody else having conversations, or me and a group of people having conversations. It's almost like a barber shop or. Barbershop. You know, it's just like frank, real conversations. Yeah. My whole thing is I always try to be, if you met me in real life, it would be just like the podcast. I, I would talk the same way. We'd have the same kind of conversations because that's how it started. Right. And that's right. the only way I know how to do it. Right. right. You know, um, that's why I always say 
when somebody says, oh, what, hey, you sure you want to have this guest on? They were on such and such show. Yeah, but they weren't talking to me. Right, exactly. So it's going to be a different conversation. I don't care if it's the same information. It's not going to be, we're not going to say it the way you would or that person did. I don't even research my guests that much uh, beyond what it is about them that interests me. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Because I want that, um, that first conversation, I want it to be as organic as possible. You know, you and I are just talking, we're just throwing subjects out and we're talking and giving our opinions, getting to know each other. Right. Mm -hmm. And then with further episodes, you know, if I come on your podcast or if you come back here again, the research is even less necessary because we're getting to know each other the more often Mm -hmm. we talk. And that organic conversational thing is, you know, I I don't want to say that some of these more... um, educational podcasts are 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 bad it's just that i prefer the organic conversational type of kind of like what 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 joe rogan does he just gets people on they just talk mm-hmm. um yeah I, I i love those type if i like the person that's the thing if i like the personality then i can listen oh, to them damn you have to like about absolutely yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah you, i can't i can't sit for an hour or, or whatever however long and listen to a podcast host that i just don't like Right. I don't like their personality. I can't, I just can't do it. Nope. Now, but, but then I would say the other ones I like are, there are some informational ones that aren't about the personality. It's purely just about the topic at hand that I can find fascinating. If that topic is fascinating to me, okay. I, you know, I, I'm trying to think there was the ones by Wonderly where they do business wars. I don't know if you heard of business. Wars. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love those. Cause if it's a topic, Oh, how Netflix versus, Blockbuster, the story yeah. of that. Okay, I'm into that. I want okay. to hear about that. So those are more sort of scripted narrative type shows. There's yeah. a great one they did about New Jack Swing. Uh, you know, just how that started yeah. with Teddy and Guy and all that. And it was yeah, now something Taraji like that P. I could listen to. Yeah. Yeah. Taraji P. Henson narrates yeah. it, but it's a story. You know, they, yeah. they tell him the story. So T- I like Taraji, that. Taraji is the narrator? Y- yes. <laughs> I'm gonna start listening. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there's some good stuff out there. There's yeah. some great stuff out there for sure. So, yeah. you um, are, are you, have you ever thought about trying to bust into radio, which is a cousin to it's definitely. a cousin it's a cousin to mm-hmm. podcasting. Yes, I've definitely thought about it. I feel like you might lose I, control. I, you might lose a little bit of control. Well, that's what I'm saying. I struggle a little bit because I like to talk about what I like to talk about. Yeah. And if I'm forced to sort of talk about things I'm not really into, the passion isn't there as much. Uh, and I like I like podcasting. I, I like the control of it. You I choose like your own guests and everything. And, and as yeah. a radio host, you probably wouldn't be able to do that all the time. No, you're sort of locked into yeah. a thing. Now, if someone was like, we want you to just do exactly what you do on the podcast, then possibly, okay, I, I could maybe get into that, but... But yeah, I've thought about it. I mean, I studied, I'm a talk radio guy. Like I, that's what I listened to before I started podcasting. I still listen to it sometimes. I study talk radio, you know, I I understand it. And there's things that I do that I've gotten from that. I served uh, four years active duty in the, (coughs) excuse me, in the U.S. Marines. And then after that, to get my head together and figure out, figure out what I wanted to do with my life, I took a job as a truck driver. Um, oh, okay. I did that for 18 months, drove all over the United States. And that's wow. when I got into listening to talk radio. There was a guy out of, um, 
I believe it was WGN out of Chicago, Jay Marvin. Hmm. Uh, used to do a talk show, um, politically based. Okay. And, uh, and that's, that's when I fell in love this, the, the, the concept of being on a microphone and talking mm-hmm. and actually inspiring and moving people and being inspired because he would have, you know, Joe Blow from the street could call in and it wasn't like ask one question and then you're done. He would have people call in and he'd talk with them for 10, 15, 20 minutes. Mm. <clears throat> and that exchange fascinated mm-hmm. me. And, and that's and, something I, I seem like I, they don't do in radio, at least in the talk radio here, they eliminated the caller. Yeah. This was back portion in, of it. When was I driving? This was like in 90 from 94 to 96. Okay. And then I kept listening to it when I stopped driving. I kept listening to Jay Marvin. I listened to him up until, two, yeah, when I moved here, 2001, 2002, he was still doing it. Mm. I think he's retired now. But that was the main mm. guy. You know, I, I couldn't get into to Rush Limbaugh again, the personality thing. I just, right, I don't yeah. like his personality. I, just, I couldn't listen to anything that he had to say. Um, Howard Stern was also a little... I used to listen to Howard. I Handy. used to listen to him, but sometimes I had to go away because he just got too, too much. <laughs> right, I, I did too much. Yeah, there was then, a period where I used to listen to a lot of that. I got into him really late, but uh, Tom Joyner. Yeah. So they didn't have that here, so I never. Okay. I know who he is, but okay. it's nothing yeah. I was ever able to listen to. Okay. Um, yeah. yeah, I think it was a, who I would listen to. Uh, there's a lot of those local guys yeah. that I like, and I don't even agree with most of what they'd be saying, but they are very entertaining to me. Yeah, I like the conversation. Like, you know the mean? conversation can be entertaining. I don't have to agree with the subject matter. Again, it boils down mm. to the personality. You know, I could have listened to Rush Limbaugh for entertainment purpose, or maybe, you know, even to learn what mm. the so-called other side is thinking. Sure. But he as a person was just so despicable to me. I, I couldn't do it. <laughs> I think I, I think I tried to listen to him maybe two or three times and I never made it longer than 10 minutes and I would have to stop. And I, after two or three tries, I gave up, couldn't listen to him. And that's not because he's from the other side of the political spectrum either. It's because of the way it, you know, I, I can listen to any political opinion and I can discuss uh, and I can enjoy that discussion, but it has to be put forward in a manner that encourages discussion. Mm. Somebody like Rush Limbaugh tries to th- shove things down your throat. A lot of mm-hmm. people you see on social media try to shove things down your throat. You're an idiot if you don't agree with me. You're stupid. You're this, you're that. You know, uh, the name yeah, calling like and all that. And I, I can't, I just don't have time for that. But, but I right. love listening to an opposing opinion. I love it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I would say, you know, right now, at least the local radio, it was never any black people on the radio. Mm-hmm. So I always, I, I would listen to it, but I would never like get all into it. And right. it wasn't really until podcasting really started to click in where I started to see, and then like with YouTube, oh, okay. Now we're yeah. getting our voices out there. So I, I really love the Charlemagne's. Oh yeah. Um, yes. Um, Absolutely. That's not, I like, I like, uh, like, he's very controversial to people. Um, Tyreek Nasheed, I think he is hilarious. <laughs> D- D.L. Hughley? D.L. Hughley? I, I, when I get to hear him sometimes, I think he's really good. Uh, I think Joe Budden is good. Uh, there's a lot of great people out there now. Whether or not I even agree with everything they say, Yeah, I just love that it has more things that I can relate to that yes. I'm listening to it now and that we are really taking 
adopting to this, even like YouTube really didn't early podcasting. Wasn't a lot of black people podcasting or YouTubing now in the last couple of years, I always tell people, yeah, podcasting is a new record deal. Everybody had to get a record deal back in the day. Now everybody's podcasting. I love it. Like, okay, great. Get on YouTube. And and we, there's there's so many different diverse voices now. I I love it. And it's, it's a, it it can be a a good path towards financial freedom, especially once you get that monetization on, especially YouTube. Um, Absolutely. Get that monetization and people, people, I I don't know. I hope people, I hope more people get into podcasting, more black people, especially because, you know, if you're sitting there in your little bubble or maybe it's a big bubble and you're complaining about not being heard, it's, there's a solution to that. There's a solution to that. Podcasting Podcasting is the solution. Yeah. Yeah. Podcasting is Patreon. There's so many other things now and I, and I see we're all over those things i i love it yeah i, I love the whole thing it's, it's the door is wide it open. is beautiful it's yeah. just beginning it's just the door beginning. is wide open yeah. and there's a beautiful view <laughs> yeah yeah that's why we tell people find that thing that you're into yeah. oh you like how much kool-aid do you put in the yeah. sugar podcast i'm listen <laughs> there'll be somebody that's gonna want to listen to that yeah. and you'd, you'd be, be the one surprised. to lock that down be surprised yeah, yeah. i have uh, i've been doing this for 14 months now and um i'm not one to go back and try and rewind and say oh i wish i would have done it sooner but i wish mm. i would have started sooner <laughs> i don't <laughs> usually say those things but i wish i would have started this sooner because it, it's uh, it's good therapy i'll put it to you that way okay it's good yeah. therapy yeah. after my son's passing and and the people who i've met right. the people who i've spoken with uh, the feedback that I've gotten from people, it, it, it gives me a sense of, of community that I didn't have before mm-hmm. I started podcasting. Yeah. Yeah, man. It's, it's a powerful thing and getting your voice out there and, yeah. and the better, the more you do, the better you get at it. Yeah. And, uh, once I love you it. start to see the effects of it. It's a yeah. very, I remember I was in Minneapolis one time. I was actually, I was, on the street in front of Paisley Park, I was walking down the street and a car is going down the street and a guy yells out the window, working like a job. I was oh, like, wow, I was like, that's awesome. I love it. <laughs> I was like, okay, I love it. we out here doing it. So I love you it. start to see little things like that and you're like, wow, okay. It really awesome. sunk in for me that I was doing something right. Um, the first time I got contacted by um, a national level media outlet oh, wow. uh, i got contacted by a norwegian news station uh and here the, the news goes on a national it's a it's a nationalized uh news network so everybody okay. in the country sees it and i got on a morning show with oh, wow. these people awesome. who i had been seeing on tv never <laughs> imagining that i'd be sitting on that couch right across right. the table from this woman who was interviewing me about my podcast. Wow. I, know my, it's still, I get chills just talking about it, <laughs> but that was, that was the first time where I really, because you know, <clears throat> podcasting, you it can be kind of lonely because it's not always easy to access that feedback. It's not always easy. Mm. You know, not everybody comments on YouTube. Not everybody right. will send you an e-post, even when you uh, uh, email, even when you ask them, I said e-post, I'm combining Norwegian and English. I'm sorry. <laughs> in Norwegian, they say e-post instead of email. E-post. Anyways, yeah, e-post. <laughs> um, 
so not everybody is so quick to give that feedback, right? And then mm. all of a sudden, the, a national t uh, television station is, mm -hmm. is, is calling me in. And that's when I knew I was doing the right thing. I, I love okay. this. This is, this is uh, I don't want to say it's my calling because I'm, I'm bound for better things, but, but this, this is fun. I'm having a lot of fun. Awesome, man. Yeah. It's, I always, you know, people always hit me up all the time and say, man, what equipment do I got to get? And, da, da, da. and I'm just like, you know what? It don't really matter what you get. Record five to 10 podcasts yep. first, then come ask me yep. about because the thing you're going to need to do is work. <laughs> That's what you need. That is almost word work. for word what I tell people because I got caught up in that. I mean, I was overanalyzing it for about two weeks. I was constantly on YouTube and looking up what kind of microphone, what kind. Right. And it's like, wait a minute, what am I doing? Why don't I just get started? Absolutely. So it's yeah. almost like I yeah. just threw a dart at a dartboard to decide what microphone, you know, what kind of a mixer. Mm -hmm. And I just yeah. jumped into it. That's, and yeah, that's what the, you got The do. hardest thing is that consistency and staying at it, man. Because you can buy all the toys in the world. But, but if you, you just put do that content. one show and then you leave it, it's yep. nothing. Like, you know, put in the passion, put in the work. And that's, don't worry about the numbers yeah, and yeah. all of that. Because when I was podcasting originally, podcasting wasn't a thing. So no, no. with no numbers and you didn't really know how it was going. But I liked it. I liked doing it. You know what I'm saying? I about, did it for myself. Do you worry about how many people are listening? Do you ever think about that? Do you ever try to think, okay, what do I have to do to get more listeners? Or do you just do um, your thing? Well, at this point, now I think about it in terms of how much, and this might sound bad, I don't care. I do how much more money can I get? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's what, I don't need no listeners. No. I just need the bread. Yeah. So I don't trip on how many subscribers I have or how many listeners I only look at, at the end of the month how much is coming in on that Patreon account yeah. <laughs> and how much is coming on that YouTube there so you I go. can pay rent and do yeah. all these other stuff. Yeah. yeah. That's how I sort of frame it at this point. So I know there's things I can do that can generate more money or things I know are going to get clicks. Yeah. But in terms of if I have the most subscribers and all that, I used to care a lot. Yeah. I, I don't, I, I used to pay for like stats and all that. <sighs> I, I just look at my analytics in dollars and cents. I treat it like a job. Yep. And that's how I do it. I decided you know? before I even started, I wasn't going to get caught up in how many people are listening or, or watching now that I'm right. on, on a video format. I'm not going to think about that. I'm just going to do what I do, uh, do what I do to monetize it and, and just look at the dollars and cents that come in. That's it. Yeah. And you, you, you'll figure out once you start, there's going to be something that, you know, there's always something that I, click at some point or go viral and yeah. you're like, Oh, okay, this is That's working. Yeah, yeah. You know, and that, you know, definitely pay attention to that. But like I said, I, I was doing it when nobody cared. So it's yeah. like, I'm going to still do it even if they don't care, but yeah. blessfully some people do care. So you well, got something to work with. But what yeah. I found out is the, the, the episodes of mine that have gone viral is when I'm solo on the mic, no guest. Really? And when I'm ranting, about well, I take that back. I've had two two <laughs> guests, uh, important guests that came on that really drove up the, the 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 listens. But when I'm solo on the mic and I'm ranting or discussing uh, social political issues back home in the oh, states, okay. those are the okay. ones that have gone. Yeah, yeah. And 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 I acknowledge that, but I can't really act upon that knowledge because it's tiring. Mm -hmm. I don't want to mm -hmm. get pigeonholed like that. that. I don't yeah. want to be 
the guy that that's all he talks about is social political stuff. I mean, those things are mm-hmm. dear to my heart, but I want to talk about them just when the spirit moves me. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. I hear you. I, hear I, you. Know, I, I, I just have to keep it real. I'm keeping it real with myself. <laughs> keeping it real with myself. Yeah. <laughs> It's always the salacious sort of drama field yeah. videos. It's on YouTube that yeah. they, they can't perform, but then you got to ask yourself, do I want to constantly be in that? Yeah, you know, I, that can, like you say, the way you're I'll step in there when I, again, when it, when the spirit moves me, when the, when the inspiration, when the motivation, when the anger or emotion is there, I'll mm-hmm. go there. But to, to, to make that my thing, can't, can't do I it. I hear you. I hear you. Can't do it. I don't have any heart trouble at the moment and I don't want any. So <laughs> <laughs> no, you don't want that. <laughs> All right, man. Listen, um, it's getting late over here in Norway. It's like middle, yeah, yeah. middle of the day up there, but, uh, over here it's about nine 30 at night. I gotta, Oh wow. Yeah. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta get my beauty sleep. Gotta do that. <laughs> well, listen, man, this was great. Um, this so is so uh, honored to, to be on here. Well, I'm honored that you came. Like I said, you, uh, you inspired me. Um, my buddy, Aaron Turner, shout out to him again, uh, told me about you. I checked you out and got inspired immediately. So the honor is mine, brother. Uh, I like what you're doing. Pushing each other. Yeah. Yeah. Let's just keep doing. I like what you're doing. I want you to know you always have a place here. Anytime you have anything going on, I want to have you back on whenever you feel like coming back on, you've got a place here. All right. All right. Maybe we can do one where we really go, uh, We'll do our. We'll geek out on some Star Wars and, and different stuff oh, like man, that. Oh man, I could. I I know those movies by heart, so I'm I'm ready. Oh, okay. I'm ready. <laughs> I'm <laughs> ready. Told me that. Oh man, I'm ready. Okay. Awesome. Michael Dean, everybody, uh, check out his podcast. Check him out on YouTube. How do they find you? What's the best, uh, the easiest way to find you? Yeah, just look up uh, if you're a Prince fan. Podcast on Prince. Uh, Podcastjuice.net. You'll find us on all the popular podcasting platforms and on YouTube. Outstanding. Michael Dean, much love to you, brother. Uh, Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Work it like a job. (laughs) Bye, Bye, everybody.